Welcome to this special edition of the Casual Shooters Podcast, your premier podcast for the casual shooter. Now, this podcast is special in a couple of ways. One, it's going to come out midweek. It's not going to be in the normal roundup. And two, I actually have two employees of the USPSA um, on to discuss numbers and statistics and participation and all kinds of fun things. So fun to me anyway. So this edition actually features the director of media events and the director of information technology. So if you would join me in welcoming to the show. Mr. Jake Martins and Mr. Rick Brotzel. How are you gentlemen doing? We're doing great, Dave. Thank you. Doing good, Dave. Awesome. If you would, go ahead and take a moment and introduce yourselves. We'll start with Jake and then go to Rick. So my name is Jake Martins. I'm the director of media and marketing um, going into 2024. I won't be doing events. Um, I have been with USPSA. Uh, November was nine years, part-time at first, full-time since 2017, um, and have been a, a active competitive shooter since 1999, first USPSA matches in 2004. Um, and have uh, shot a lot of different disciplines growing up all the way up till now. And I'm Rick Brotzel, uh, Director of IT at USPSA. Um, I started working out of USPSA headquarters uh, in January. It'll be 11 years now. So I didn't actually get into shooting uh, until about five years ago. And, you know, obviously fell in love and... Uh, Love the sport and, and love the, love what we're doing. What was your first USPSA match, Rick? Uh, that would have been uh, USPSA Nationals. We threw him in, Dave. <laughs> in 2018, I take it then? Yes. Yeah, that would that would have been my first match. You know, it's funny. My first Nationals um, was the last – no, no, no. The second to last time at – yeah, at Frostproof. It might have been the last time at Frostproof, actually. Um, on our squad was a woman whose first ever USPSA match was that match. So that was 20, the Harry Optics production. Um, so it might have been 2020. It was actually 2020. I'm sorry. Yeah. So it's interesting how some people, that's their very first match. They, they just go to the biggest one of the year. <laughs> I don't think she's actually in the USPSA anymore. It kind of surprised me because she was loving it. She even had a couple of sponsors, so I'm, I'm surprised. She was one of our early guests. All right, so you guys combined, you've been working for USPSA for 20 years. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little, a little bit of time there. Um now, Jake, I know based on uh, the Hunter's HD Gold podcast that you were on with Brian, you had a very extensive uh, retail background in Correct. management. Okay. Yeah. Now, Rick, what was your background before coming to USPSA? Uh, I, I did a variety. I'm, I started very early. Uh, it'll sound strange, but I started making websites in fourth grade. Uh, and, and basically just exploded from there. So uh, I had a variety of different uh, jobs um, involving, you know, starting with some networking with a large amount of 
uh, food. Uh, it was a Domino's. Uh, I did their networking for a while. Um, and then I worked for a company that we basically supported a uh, little over 300 different businesses with their website and technology. Um, and then I started at USPSA. So, okay. um, and I've always done, um, you know, obviously side work and, and contracting work here and there, but um, for the last 11 years, almost uh, USPSA has been my focus. Okay. Now, Jake, was it seemed like, again, going back to Brian's podcast, you've been doing management in other than USPSA. You were in management and retail since the age of 16. Pretty much. Yeah. I started uh, my, my junior and senior year of high school. I was actually an assistant manager of a, what we refer to as a licensed product uh, specialty store. Um, it was called Superstars. Uh, so yeah, my senior year in high school, I was making $25,000 a year as assistant store manager of a store that sold hats and starter jackets at uh, St. Clair Mall and outside of St. Louis. Um, and from there, I went to Best Buy when they had their huge growth spurt. Um, I opened from ground up 13 or 14 different Best Buys across the country, different markets of Best Buy. Um, I, did, I did a similar thing with Circuit City and Dick Sporting Goods, and then I ended my retail career <laughs> closing stores with Sears. So I went through opening to closing uh, locations. But yeah, I, I've been in uh, anywhere from $55 million a year stores, $8, $10, 15000000 million in inventory, 200 associates as general manager or operations manager district logistics managers for circuit city. So yeah, a lot of, of big box retail type of stuff. Wow. So is the internet what killed them? Uh, management uh, with Sears kind of changed the, the, how that company was ran. The funny thing is, is that mm. they were, they were ahead of their time in a lot of things like buy online, pick up in store. We were doing in 2010, 2011, um, but it, it had a lot more to do with uh, decaying stores and locations. I mean, they were they were in malls and mall business. We've, we've seen how that's gone. Um, yeah. But I had, a, I had an opportunity. I, I did this with you know. If you refer back to Brian's thing, I was uh, I was a section coordinator in Indiana from 2009 until 2015, I think. Um, I had written some articles. I had participated at nationals. Um, Phil was president at the time and had some conversations. There was a little change up with the office structure uh, with the executive director at the time and Val, if everybody remembers Val. Um, I came in part time as, as a contributing editor to the magazine and a club coordinator um, to help answer questions and, and kind of work that side of it. And then an election later in 2017 with uh, Mike, when he was president, there was an opportunity to go full-time. So we kind of worked out some different agreements on how that would look um, and was able to transition into this into a full-time position. Okay. Uh, yeah. And I, I guess maybe it wasn't big enough, but they definitely need media personnel. So it's a good thing that they got somebody now, Rick, um, 
you said you you had no how did you find out about this job if you had no interest in guns at the time you got the job how do you find out about this i know the answer to this well, and it's hilarious I, i'm not sure i <laughs> spoiler I like that but uh let's say i found a, a job posting online uh i mean um i was i was in the you know transitioning between jobs and i um, I was actually uh, interviewing down in California for several jobs. Um, it was looking promising, but I didn't want to live in California. So uh, when I seen this, I figured I'd give it a shot. And um, yeah, I was hired a, a week after my interview. Wow. So now I know you guys are both up in Washington now. Is that where you live, Rick? You reside in Washington? Yep. yep. Okay. I, live, uh, I live out of Burlington, Washington. It's uh, about an hour north of Seattle. Okay. Which is the home headquarters then? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's where headquarters is based is in Burlington. Yep. So to speak. Um, right. And, if yeah, you look at the, the addresses, office. it says Burlington. Yeah. The office itself has been closed since November of last year. So it's a year without actually having an office. And I would say this, the staff itself has been remote pretty much since pandemic For 2020 hours. with, with, with a structure of how they would go in and out of the office um, based on some of Washington state laws. But for the most part, I would say we're coming up on year three of almost yep. everybody working remote. Okay. You, you see that changing anytime soon? I don't see a need that it should change. No, not necessarily. I don't either. I'm just yeah, asking. Not with, uh, not with the technology that's yeah. out there now, as far as meetings and how things are done. Um, I think there's me personally speaking, our address may be better in another state. That's just me as far as where the you yeah. know, corporate address is at. So, yeah. And that's been discussed um, just because of laws here in Washington. Yeah. Um, it, it has been a, a conversation for the last two years. Yeah. It's just, I don't think anybody's pulled the trigger with everything that's been going on. Yeah. And I, as as bad as the whole issue around the pandemic was, if there's one thing good that came out of it, it was that people realized you can work from home and be as or more productive is actually going into an office. Like I have found that I get more work done at home if I go in to our academy because I'm a firefighter paramedic. I, I teach paramedics. If I go in, there are so many more distractions. I'm way less productive. If I'm home, yeah. I can do as much in four hours here as I can do in a full day there. I think for us, one of the, when we went to the structure that we went to in 2016, which was kind of the change of the executive director where uh, Foley as the president at that time was remote. Gary was, Gary Nash as mm -hmm. the DFO was remote. I was remote. Troy is DNRY was remote. Um, and then you kind of started I working remote somewhat remote time, yeah. as well. Uh, it was an easier transition as we, as we move forward. I think um, the only hurdle that we kind of run into is, is that, I mean, we're a staff of eight people, Yeah, eight people, I think. So we have, you know, Heather and Stacy, have been Heather's 10 years now, Stacy's 20, right around there, 22 yeah. years or 21 years. So vacation time for, for folks, when you have that limited amount of staff, you know, working phones and answering emails is, is one of the transitions that has been a little bit more 
I would say a little bit more difficult that we've kind of worked through. Uh, Now that brings up a good question. So if you have phone numbers, but you have no corporate office, how do those phone number, how do those phone calls get answered? They routed. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a, we have a virtual phone system. Uh, So everybody's got a phone on their desk and their, their cell phone also will ring. Um, And it'd be just like the phones in your office. You can pick up dial an extension. The other person picks up. I mean uh, you know, it's, I'll just say it's all based off uh, the Zoom phone system. Um, So it's a great, they have, they built a great infrastructure for their online meetings. um, And they, they use that infrastructure to develop a phone system. um, And it's worked really well for us. Yeah. So like the phone number that's in my signature line, it literally is a Zoom number that rings on my cell phone. Okay. So yeah, you're able to reach me just like you were calling an office extension. Now, is there anything special that pops up on your screen to say it's a someone calling USPSA? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So it'll on my side, it, it looks like a Zoom app call, and it would say because mm. it's a like caller it, ID. Yeah. So if it was okay, uh, if it was yeah. directed from the office where they took a call and they're transferring it to me, it'll say USPSA office. Or if you were calling me, it would say Dave. Um, so I can look at it and be like, I'm not talking to that guy. But yeah, <laughs> I don't blame that on either. <laughs> but it, it's worked out really well because, you know, I'm Eastern time zone. The office is, is three hours Pacific, behind yep. me. So we've got pretty good coverage um, that's out there. I think the only thing that we kind of run into, and you'll talk to this a little bit, is, is I mean, USPSA matches are weekends and evenings. And, yeah. um, you know, the office staff is kind of a Monday through Friday kind of thing. So, and that was um, one of the things later, I think, I don't know if I have it written down, but one of the things I was going to, when we get there is I think there's supposed to be a, a phone number for people to be able to contact that, that need assistance. Well, we'll get to it. Well, I, well, shoot, we'll do it right now. If someone does have issues on the weekend with a match and they text or call, I mean, What's the delay like being able to get back to them, especially if they're on the East Coast? So what's what's nice about our phone system, we're able to do things like have a dedicated phone line for uh, clubs that are holding matches on, you know, obviously on the weekends, which most clubs do. Um, So what this number does basically is if somebody is to text or call it on the weekend, um, it basically sends a message to staff members that are available, somewhat available during that weekend. None of our staff actually get paid to work the weekend, but we do, you know, we want to support our clubs and that's what we're here for. So if somebody calls or texts that during the weekend, we try to be, you know, have at least one person available. And I know when the delay on it, I can't really say it just depends. It it, it changes. It varies. Um, If, if there's a lot of matches going on or, you know, if, all of our staff, as Christmas is coming up, all of our staff are busy. There could be a 24-hour delay. But we do okay. try, uh, between Nathan and myself at least, I know Jake gets some of them as well, we do try to get back to those as soon as we possibly can. Um, and it is text or phone call. And I know on the range master side of it, um, when matches are going on, people reaching out to Troy, Jody, or Kevin, um, 
they usually have their direct contact. So if there's a major match that's going on and the range masters on the ground has got something, I mean, I've, I've been with Troy where I've seen him, you know, it was like, Oh, I got to go, you know, somebody's calling me from the section match and answer a question. So they're, they're very good at responding about stuff like that. And most of those RMs know how to get a hold of those guys. Okay. All right. Jumped a little ahead, but I like it because it fit right in there. All right. Now, one thing I didn't have down that I'm going to hit you guys with that I hit other people with is two, two questions. Favorite movie, favorite book. <laughs> That's a tough one. I, you know, it's always a tough one. <laughs> it's, so I have like a top 10 movie kind of thing, but the one that always comes back up to the top of it, that is uh, heat with, you know, Falcomer, Al Pacino, mm. Robert De Niro. Yeah. Um, that is great movie. That is one of, yeah, that is one of those movies that if it's on, I watch it. I've got, you know, the anniversary DVD. Um, it, it's just one of those that I, it, the history of the movie and knowing Michael Mann and everything that went into it. I, I appreciate everything about that movie. Um, I appreciate and, the yeah. fact that they were pretty good with their tactics too. Like well, they yeah. were pretty legit. So if you ever get the anniversary edition of that, you actually see the training that they went through and how Michael Mann goes through. And he's got the cops all trained together in that movie. He's got the outlaws that all train together separately. You know, they don't work wow. together. They don't stay together. He does a lot of stuff that's in there. Uh, he did the same thing with collateral. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's not just the movie and the acting and the and the actors that are in there. It's the the technical proficiency that's in that. It's one of those movies that you know, I went and <laughs> I went and bought a Sig two two six after that because Robert De Niro had one. <laughs> that, you know that. that kind of thing, right? so, um, and I heard De Niro yeah. and um, oh shoot, who's the other guy? Uh, Val, De Niro Val was. Kimmer yeah, so Val yeah, Kilmer and, and De Niro were the bad guys that were in there. Right, but who was the the head cop? Um, oh, him yeah. and De Ni Al Pacino. I heard yes. they recorded that scene of those two together separately. Well, they did it separately, but then they it was also recorded together. Um, and it's the first time that those two appeared on a screen together. That was the other little caveat that was in there that they had been in the Godfather's movies, but never on the screen together. Um, and there's actually there's a prequel sequel book that's out now on that that came out uh, last year that's supposedly hitting. And as far as as far as top books, um, <laughs> the the uh, I, I really like The Hunt for Red October was one of my mm -hmm. you know favorite early books. Um, I've recently, you know, I've read all the Jack Carr books except for the most recent one. Um, there's a couple of older ones that I've read that uh, kind of this, some more autobiography ones of old rock bands and stuff. You know, Hammer of the Gods, Led Zeppelin is still probably one of my favorite books. Okay. I'm a Who fan, so I, I can respect Led Zeppelin. <laughs> so uh favorite movie i'll have to go with uh tombstone i, I, I classic I, yeah that's 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 that'll have to be it I've used uh, book i i 
What's that? I've used stage names for that. <laughs> oh, you have indeed. <laughs> Favorite book? I I don't think I could say. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of the books I read are you know programming and and <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was afraid of. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I always I'm, tell I'm, people no, when I. When I ask him this question, I always tell him that it cannot be an operator's manual. It has to be an actual book. So, <laughs> all right. Well, we'll go with what we've got. For uh, I, too, read Hunt for Red October. Great book. Movie yeah. was very good. Yep. All right. Now, Jake, I had reached out to you, shoot, I guess, what, about a month ago now about I had just done an episode with six other panel members, including Scott Arnberg, about participation sure. and how that looked across USPSA wide at level two matches and above, because that was the most readily available information to me through practice score. So I compiled like a 50 sheet Excel spreadsheet like 50 different pages, compiled all those numbers. And I was finding that I was getting about 30, uh, 39 to 40% participation with the, um, with carry optics. And it went down from there. And it looks like based on what you were showing the other day in the board meeting, um, that that's about the same. Yeah. So if you look at, um, uh, and you're, you're pulling up on here and I, there we go. Yeah, there we go. I'm old and can't read that screen. So I got it on my phone. So, so the that's first not... report that's on there, um, is January to November. Um, and I, I did, I did this a couple of times throughout the year. I did the, the first half of the year. I did a report to the board. Then I did end of third quarter, and then this is uh, what was posted was through November 27th, right before the board meeting. Um, and the numbers that you're looking at, so people understand when they go and look at that, this is reported activities that are submitted by affiliated clubs, the USPSA. Um, and this is like the, the number that goes down the first column, that is the results. So everyone always asks what an activity is. So if you look at like that first screen, 30,413 open, that's 30,413 match results in open division, level one, level two, level three, however it's reported. It's not broke down by um, the different levels of the match. This is a report that Rick created uh, three or four years ago. Yep. Um, and it's a really good indicator of what's going on. It's what I use to go back and look at how to pair divisions together for nationals to get the you know best sell through that's out there and yeah so if you go and you look on you know that initial um breakdown that's out there uh year to date uh carry optics is at 40.1 percent and that's probably what you're seeing across the board and and when you pull it up and you look at your local section match your area match, or even your level one match, it's pretty close to that. Um, there is some regionality to it, obviously. In um, you know, one of the things I learned is like in New York, 
PCC may have been a little bit of higher percentage percentage because you don't have to have a handgun permit for a rifle to shoot at PCC, but you were mm. right. So you were restricted to capacity. Um, so there's some, if we were to break that down and these are some of the reports that we're going to be looking at in 2024 of the activity across the country and where it goes, you'll see some different spikes that are out there. Um, but I look at the big picture, like what's being reported to us. So right. carry optics, carry optics has by far the number one division is since I've been tracking this and looking at this, cause we can go the way Rick generated this report. I can go back to any year that I want and generate the same report and compare. Um, so if you've been following along in the minutes and stuff, I always use 2019 as a benchmark because um, it was our highest year of activity, highest year of membership. And then obviously 2020, it's a tough year to kind of compare because a lot of people put shooting. You couldn't go to certain areas in the country. Um, so I use 2019 as a benchmark. The other cool thing about 2019 is also the year that carry optics took off. So yep. it was introduced, it was introduced in 2015. Um, and it started in September of 2015, but even 2016, 2017, 2018, if you go back and look at the nationals in 2018 result in carry optics, it, it wasn't, I think there was like 80, 90 people that shot it that year. So a few changes with the rules that made it more inclusive and to what people liked capacity being one, it, it skyrocketed. And then being able to change a little bit on how the guns were approved for production division, primarily driven by, you know, the modularity of a 320, the modularity of guns that were coming into the marketplace. Um, they didn't have to, we had a hard look at, do they have to be 2,000 guns produced? So for example, a CC Shadow 2 was a SKU number. 2,000 of those would have had to have been produced. A CC Shadow 2 Optics Ready was a separate SKU number. 2,000 of those would have had to have been produced. So we, we looked at that, changed it, and then that's where you started seeing inclusivity. Those numbers started to skyrocket. And at the same time, the industry went to optics ready pistols. Yeah. And, and just to underscore your point and to, to um, emphasize your point, it was 16 point. What I had just for, again, same, I use the same metric every year, which is level twos and above, but I exclude national since they're so specific. So I do right. all the area matches, all the level two matches. And that's what I use. I had 16.56% in 2019. And even though, and I agree with you because I also did a comparison of area participation from like 2015 to 2023, 2020 terrible year. Like I didn't even count it because it, it, you couldn't count it. Too but hard. Even, yeah, it's too hard. Exactly. But even with that said, 23.42% in 2020 was carry optics. Yeah. And it, Yes. I think it was 30% the next year and it just, and then like 34 and then 40. And at the same time, when you go back and you look at those numbers, you're going to see that production was probably at 25, 26% and was dropping 
it, it had a huge drop in 2021 from like 25% to 15%. So current members did move to the division. But at the same time, the other report that I have that I look at that's on there is what divisions new members to USPSA are coming to shoot. And that has been by far 40 to 50% of new members are going to carry optics as their first division that they shoot since 2021, 2022, and into this year. Um, and surprisingly enough, they're doing the same thing in Steel Challenge, which I was shocked when that number was pulled up. Yeah, that's the screen. Yeah. yeah. I, I, when, I was, when I saw that in Steel Challenge, I had called Rick and I was like, is your report right? <laughs> um, because I, I, I would have assumed it was Rimfire. That, you know, the okay. Rimfire divisions were still the draw. But when you start to think about it, if you're a new member coming into a club and the gun you have is a carry optics gun and the match they're running is a steel challenge match, you're shooting the gun that you have. So yeah. while rimfire is still number one, number two divisions, centerfire is not dead and steel challenge. Carry optics is making a huge push in into even that, that sport as well. And we see the same thing in, in multi-gun with the addition of modified division um, and the outlaw match is trying to figure out what they're going to do with optics on pistols and multi-gun, um, not being an open only. So you're able to take your carry optics gun or now your limited optics gun mm. and figure out where to go and shoot. Okay. Do you, do you, you guys have a different view of things than I do out here. So I'm curious if when you look at these numbers throughout the year, even with limited optics coming in, is it slow? Is carry optics slowing down at all? It's not slowing down on the new member side. So the other screen, I think if you scroll back up, you'll see that there's a screen to uh, where it says May 1st to November 27th. Right. So I look at that for two reasons. One, everybody that says, uh, you know, limited optics is just people sticking a magwell on their carry optics gun and going and shooting it. Um, maybe, but if you notice, it's only 2%, 1.99% reduction in carry optics. While limited optics goes from nine and you just look at it from May 1st on goes to 14%. So obviously it's not just people moving over from carry optics. Um, there's a little bit of uh, a little bit of a decrease in open. Obviously, there's some decrease in limited, but we've seen limited numbers going down year over year over year yeah. out there. So I, I don't think that you're going to bastardize carry optics with it for two reasons. And this is the this is where we can probably have a two hour long argument with with a bunch of people <laughs> out there. But all right. So is carry optics different than limited optics? And a lot of people are like, ah, oh, single action versus striker fire double action. There's no difference anymore. Okay. So carry optics, one of the reasons for the growth of that division is barrier of entry. There, there are certain yep. levels of guns, right? So back when USPSA, and I wrote an article about this earlier this year, back when we had 20,000 members, we were the race gun division. You had to have 
customized brace guns. You had to have a custom limited gun. You had to have a custom open gun. And you didn't see growth in USPSA until early 2000 when production became a division. And we slowly went from 20,000 to about 22, 23,000. And we hovered about 24,000 members um, up until 2016. There was zero growth as far as USPSA went because we were the highly specialized custom gun. And to be competitive, you had to go and do that. Um, Off-the-shelf guns became popular with carry optics. You saw a huge growth in production because manufacturers were making guns more geared towards competition. And you can go back and, you know, the Glock 34, the 320, the Q5 Match, the CZ Shadows. These, these were guns that were built for competition. Um, so barrier of entry made it easier for people to get in, adjusting the rules a little bit to where it wasn't such a hard, like, does my gun fit the box? Does does it make this weight? Does it do all that stuff? Made it easier for people to come and shoot. So we're going with this is, is that carry optics and limited optics are different, not just because of single action, not just because of 2011s versus over-the-counter guns. It's custom guns versus off-the-shelf guns. And to be able to go and buy for less than $1,000 a gun that you can find anywhere, a Canic you know, a rival S, mm-hmm. you know, stick an optic on it. Right. Right. So you've got 1200 bucks tied up one base pad. You're ready to go. Now, if you have, if you want to have a, right. So if you want yep. to have a full on custom race gun uh, that you want to have built by a custom builder, It'll never be approved. Five hundred of those guns. Right. Five hundred of those guns have to be built. You can't take your old forty caliber twenty eleven and put a nine millimeter top end on it. You can't call up Mac McLaren or Eddie Garcia and have him build you a gun that would be approved to be stuck into carry optics. And if you did, while well, that gun that you have is very competitive. If you're racing against somebody who's got a $6,500 Pat Rafferty limited optics gun, you're going to feel outgunned. You're going to feel like you're not able to compete with that. So leaving carry optics alone, not sticking single action guns into it, lets people go and build custom race guns, build 2011s, have stuff done. And there's a market for that. We know there's a market for that. Look at how many specialty builders that are out there. Not, not just Staccato, not just Infinity, but specialty builders, Akai, Rafferty, McLaren, Eddie Garcia, um, those guys that are out there, Atlas, that are building guns that didn't have a place to play. So everybody, that 40% that you see in carry optics with their Glocks and Canics and CZs are going to fill out gun. Um, and there's other things that are different. Race holsters, distance from the belt not having approved magwells, sight blockers, basically customizing the gun. So that's where limited optics came from. I think you're going to see me personally, if we come back and we do this a year from now, I think you'll see carry optics at about 35% and you're going to see limited optics at about 20%. Open's going to stay about where it's at 
which is about 15 to 17 percent because it's a very specialized high-end top fuel dragster um, and limited is going to dump further down the list especially if wow. production if production capacity goes up, limited is artificially inflated by people loading up mm. production gun and going right. shooting, shooting that. So I think you'll see production tick up above 10%. Limited's going to dump. And your three main divisions that are going to be sitting out there are going to be carry optics, limited optics, open, and production is going to tick back up over 10%. And that's going to be your top four. Okay. Yeah, because I think uh, PCC, what do I have it at? So for the year, for me, what I have is is 10.84, and you've got, well, this is with them, but it's 9.73. So we're within a percent of each other. Yeah, we're about the uh, same. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And PCC is unique in that uh, when I go back and I look at the growth of bringing new members in, it didn't bring new members in like carry optics has and limited optics has. What it did is, is it gave um, members that may not have been shooting handguns due to whatever reason, a place to come and play. Um, when you first saw PCC, we, you saw a lot of, a lot of older gray haired guys that were out there shooting PCC um, that, you know, physically weren't able to necessarily compete like they used to with, with a handgun. Um, then you saw some membership growth, and that was a little bit into the, the multi-gunners that now had a place to come and run a carbine. Um, it, had a, it had a little bit of a peak in, in 2018, 2019, around in there. But even after the Nationals in 2020, which was a standalone PCC Nationals, we started seeing it droop back down um, as far as activity and it's hovered right around that nine to 10%. It hasn't changed much in the last two years. It's been pretty steady. Right. I think it'll stay right there. Cause it is, I think it's a, it's a division that the guys who shoot PCC love shooting PCC and they're not going to change. And I think there's some people who dabble in it a little bit. Um, but they're, they're, they mess around like anything new, like the guys that kind of dabble in PCC are now going to dabble in limited optics. Um, and then they have their side division where they may shoot single stack here. They may shoot production there. So you get people who bounce around that always kind of fluctuate a little bit. Now I do find the difference in what I have for open and what you have for open. Very interesting because you have, I'm I'll round it and say 15%. And when you look at just major matches, it's actually 20%. But you know, when you, when you're, it's in, I, I like your numbers better because. What's well, level one. Le right. right. It includes the level one matches, which gives you in my estimation, a much better idea of the geography and, and actually open shooters are only 15%, but they have a higher participation at level two matches and above. So the other, Another difference that you need to take into consideration with the numbers that you have and the numbers that we have is if it's level two and above, you're looking at members. I'm looking at reported activities, which include non-members. So mm, you're okay. You're, yeah. So a local club match that has th this includes local club matches that doesn't have right. um, the necessary uh, 
necessarily a member attached to it. So when you think of a level two or higher match, that's a member. And you right. have more, more members that are probably going to go and shoot open division or an established division like open. And I bet you, you see limited is probably a little bit higher in your numbers than our numbers as well, is my guess. Um, the limited numbers? Yeah. Yeah, but not by much. Not by much. Um, yeah, if I look, well, I have limited optics numbers, so let's go there. Um, 13 compared to, actually you have higher numbers. Right. So yeah. So 13, I have 11. Yeah. So that includes the, you know, the level one club matches. And, the and then again, is, how many of those are production shooters fill in their mags? Exactly. On limited. Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah unlimited. Yep. So, and that is, uh, that's where that number is going to be, you know, higher at a club match because how many times have we stood there and, and me personally, when I say this, I'm, I'm, I'll defend it. Um, I think it's wrong that we sit there and we tell, load your mags up. Don't worry about it. You'll have more fun and go shoot. You're not going to do well. All right. So we just told a guy who just got a hall pass to go and spend $700 on a gun Hey, thanks for coming out. You're going to suck. You should just load your mags up and you're going to, we're going to put you in a division that you're not capable of being competitive in. Well, that guy's, he's defeated already, right? Instead of going, hey, do you have four mags? Great. Load those up with 10 rounds. Maybe we can get you another Glock mag. Maybe we can get you another CZ mag. Shoot production because that's where you should be. Instead, we handicap them. And I, I, I have this argument with people all the time. I mean, if you show up with a production gun, you should shoot production. You shouldn't shoot limited because you're going to go and find your results and you want to go home and be like, man, this was awesome, but I need to go and spend $3,500 on a 40 caliber limited gun. If I want to be competitive and this guy's wife, right. Looks at right. This guy's wife looks yeah. at him and goes, no. Right. <laughs> so. And now I, you're divorced. I, right. <laughs> right. Or, or you're a moron like all of us. And then, you know, you got matching sets of everything that you have and, you know, it's, it's 23 years later. Um, but I, I personally think that, you know, if you show up with a gun and there's a division that it fits in, that's where we should be sending them to. Um, on the flip side of that, we don't do a necessarily good job as an organization of informing people what fits where ahead of time. Like, oh, yeah, go read the rule book. I mean, hell, now, I get stuff out of the rule book all, wrong all the time now. <laughs> well, now, how much of that, too, is, though, that that first time they come, you just want them to shoot and enjoy it? You know, obviously, no, not break the 180, but have fun, shoot. Don't worry about, you know, um, where you place, who I, you're I, competing against. And then once you get done, we'll work with you to get you in your proper division. So, yes, you can make that argument. But most people that are coming to us, have found this one way or another and have a competitive nature, a type A personality and are trying to figure out some stuff. And the first thing that they hear is just go have fun. You're not going to be competitive. And we invited them out to a competitive shooting event. So I can make an argument both ways. And, and you're probably right. There's probably some of that where if you, if you soft sell them on the idea that you're going to go and have more fun if you just load your mags up and get a feel for things, 
and then we'll get you in the right place after this. That works. I don't know that we do a very good job of that. Um, okay. I mean, just imagine on a Sunday morning, the mass director is rushing over to get registration opened up for the new shooters that are standing there after he just set up a stage and ran around and got everything done. It's, it's a tough time to sit there and say, hey, you should just do this because it's going to be better for you. We're most likely saying, just load your mags up and go shoot this division and we'll figure it out later. It, you know, it's that ego stroke, right? right. Um, yeah. So it would be the same thing if a guy showed up at a BMX bicycle race and be like, ah, you got training wheels on. You should take those off. You're going to have more fun. Right. <laughs> you know, and kill or, yourself, or, but or, that's okay. Right. Yeah. You know, the guy, the guy shows up. Yeah. The guy shows up at his first golf course. Right. And he's going to go and play golf for the first time. And you're like, hey, you just spent $700 on a set of clubs, but you should move up to the pink tees because you can't hit. <laughs> oh, Lord. Right. Oh, so, <laughs> I, to, to me, because I also can come back and look and we see, all right, 45% of the new members shoot one or two matches and they don't come back. Well, if they're shooting the wrong division with the wrong gun and they were told they're not going to be competitive, would you come back? Yeah, no, no. Right. For sure. Yeah. So hopefully we can move people the right way. And I know we got the production survey that's up here. There's a lot of arguments that could be made 10 rounds, 15 rounds, load the gun up, fits the box, use a 140 millimeter mag that you use in carry optics. Um, I think, I think 15 rounds is a start. I don't know me again, personally, I didn't vote for that. I thought that the gun should be restricted by the box as far as capacity, but um, okay. it's a start. It's going to mirror um, what we see in Ipsic for a certain, you know, to a certain extent. Uh, I don't buy into the factor to the fact that, you know, it's going to confuse ROs. They can't, you know, they only have 10 fingers, so they can't count to 15. I, I, I don't think that's a thing. Um, I don't know that it's going to fix the load your mags up, you know, issue that we have. Um, it's going to be better, but again, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I'm skeptical. Um, again, that also, I, I also can't say that that's necessarily what we're going for because that still is up for a board vote, but obviously 76% of the people that voted would like for that to happen. Yeah. And I, I think I abstained because I was like, I don't shoot production, so I don't know what the right answer is. And, you know, I had Tyler Turner on here and he was like, no, don't change it. 15 isn't going to bring anybody into the division. Okay. 10 is not going to bring anybody into the division. 15, I, I'm somewhat with Tyler. I mean, it's dead at 10. We continue to see it drop. Um. And I'm against, you know, loading your mags up and shooting and limit it. So I think something needs to be done. I don't think 15 mm -hmm. is fixed. Uh, I don't think we did a very good job of explaining limiting the capacity by the gun fitting the box. Um, if you were to sit there and, you know, say essentially your gun, if it fits the box with the mag in it, that's how many rounds you can put in it. So if it holds 15, like a Walther Q5, 
and you can put a plus two base pad on it and it fits the box, you're good to go. You know, 17 rounds. If you got a CZ, you know, a Shadow 2 with an 18 round mag, you're 18 rounds. Um, I, me personally, I would have rather seen that, but, you know, I, I, I don't think we did a good job of explaining it. And this looks like we're going to 15 rounds. So we'll see. Um, it doesn't, I don't think it hurts anything. I just don't know that it helps anything. Right. Exactly. I get it. Yeah. Is there any talk of limited 10 going away? God, I hope so. <laughs> Me too. I'm in that boat. So I'm ready to throw the T overboard. So the other thing I don't think that we did a very good job of explaining was the survey of limited 10 stays exactly how it is right now, but you allow optics as an option in L10. Um, and the only reason, and I'm the one who wrote that up and sent it to the board and they, to the rules committee and they presented it to the board and board did the survey on it was that, um, nine millimeter, 1911s, subcompact guns that are not compat, not competitive, you know, 19s and, um, the little IWIs and the three, six, fives and all that stuff that are out there would now have a place to go. Um, you could also stick an optic on a revolver now and it wouldn't hurt anything. That was the only thing. And literally the survey was add, you know, allow the use of optics, make no changes or eliminate L10. And it, it was like 50, 50, right? So oh, it wasn't, wow. enough, it wasn't enough information for the board to make a definitive, you know, a vote on it. Decision. Okay. Yeah. I, I, the other thing I wrote up, out there and some people have heard me talk about this is um and it's it's somewhat controversial so it, luckily i'm not a board member so it's just ideas that i throw out there to them is creating a classic division that would be 10 rounds minor eight rounds major that l10 single stack and production all went into and you eliminate it you you basically mm. you you got rid of those three divisions and put them in one gun fits the box, whatever, you know, whatever stupid weight limit we decided on or no weight limit, but the gun would have to fit the box and it would be 10 rounds minor, eight rounds major. So your single stacks, production guns, L10 guns, as long as it fit the box, um, revolver wouldn't have to fit the box, but you could put an optic on there if we did the L10 kind of thing. But I, they didn't, you know, they didn't go for it. I don't think we know how to catalog a division. Um, okay. And, you know, the, the, even me as a guy, when you open up my safe and I don't know how many single stacks that are in there would kind of be like, eh, you know, that, that's the history of the sport right there. But, you know, things evolve. So, yeah, they do. It'd be nice for some things to stay the same. Like, you know, you'll always have an open. That was the first division ever. Yeah. So, should yeah, always have a single stack or whatever you want to call it, you know? Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I think that's probably something that in the next two or three years, uh, they may revisit. I, I would hope that uh, the board in the next two or three years may come back and look at, you know, nine divisions when you have zero next to zero participation in a couple of them, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's time to do something. Right. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. Now, I, you had mentioned this earlier. Uh, well, this is actually May, since May 1. Let me back up. So yeah, so there's two ways, to, two ways to look at it, because before May 1, limited optics wasn't recognized. Right. So the first, the first one you can see is year to date. And then the second one is just the numbers from May 1st forward. And this is the, these are the numbers for first time people shooting a match. Correct. Yeah. So their first, yeah. A, a new member's first reported activity or first match result. And it's basically 50% uh, carry optics. Yep. Yep. That's and, wow. Yeah. And then the flip side of that is, is the, um, the almost 14% in limited optics. So it's already brought in a lot of new people shooting that division. Um, and I can tell you that in talking with a lot of the custom gun builders, uh, they are, that's all they're taking orders on is 2011 nine millimeter optics ready pistols. Wow. Okay. Well, you, so you have 48% carry optics, 14% limited optics, and then we'll, we'll call it 16% limited. We don't know how much of that is production fill the mag, but. So. Uh, actually, no, we do. Um, it's about, oh, you 60, do about 65% minor scored. Okay. Wow. So, okay. I mean, so, so when I say that, I mean, it's minor scored. So the assumption is, is that it's yeah. a production it's style. Production. Right. Right. It's not, a, it's yeah. not somebody shooting 40 caliber. So they could be shooting a 2011 nine millimeter, but it's obviously they're, they're not shooting what the limit division is designed to be, which is a major. Right. Right. Yeah. They're still shooting at a disadvantage. Yeah. The funny thing is, is that, uh, and you know, controversial as it may be, uh, we saw open uh, kind of tick down um, when flashlights were allowed in the other divisions. Because if you showed up with a flashlight on your gun, you were automatically you're automatically open. Open, yeah. So if you were if you were a new member shooting your you know self defense firearm, you we're bumped to open. Mm. Just, yeah, on there. So you, we saw, we saw that go down a little Same. bit gotcha. because people were now going to carry optics or limited or production um, because they were no longer being forced into open, which was the, the real reason for that was, is that when you started seeing new people coming from the tactical side, because a lot of trainers started pushing people to, you should go and shoot competitively. That that was something that kind of changed in 2020, 2021. There's a lot of tactical uh, training type of people really started pushing the competitive. There was a lot more vocal, outspoken trainers that were out there telling people. And if you look at your local club match and you start seeing people coming with duty rigs or, or retentions type rigs, um, duty belts uh, with flashlights on their, you know, 17s and 34s and, and their sticks, that's the result of, you know, them testing what they learned in tactical training classes. Now, is there any data that would show historically, like how many matches or how many seasons or years someone would shoot before 
switching to open? I mean, we have that data. We haven't pulled that specifically. Um, I think one of the there's there's data that's out there that shows how many people are classified in the divisions. Um, and the reason I don't necessarily share that out there is because you, you kind of have to explain it. So like you'd pull up and you would be like, there's 90,000 people classified and open or some crazy number like that. Uh -huh. um, that's like forever. Okay. Right. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. It's not, a, it's not necessarily current, but one of the things, and Rick can kind of talk to this is that um, we, we have more, more reporting data coming with some new software and stuff and, and some things that we're able to kind of dig into and, you know, life cycle of a member, life cycle of division. Member um, retention rates. Yeah. Activity okay. across the country, things like that, that um, with the software that you're getting, we're able to, we're able to get more information with the data that we already have that would have taken a lot longer to get. Um, so, you know, God bless AI. <laughs> <laughs> so this time, so if you were to give the same presentation next year, would you have that software on hand to be able to draw that data and, and present awesome. those numbers? Absolutely. Yeah, that's actually yeah. okay. Part of the reason why I'm up here is so we <laughs> can we can start, you know, beating the system on the information that we want to get with what did 2023 look like and what should 2024 look like and what we can present at um, the January meeting and establish a baseline going forward with some of the historical data and new data that we want to present and have out there. Well, and I was kind of surprised that when I looked in the, I wasn't looking for this when I went into the meeting minutes and I saw this, I was like, oh, what is this? I'm like, whoa, I'm, I'm used to seeing this at like the beginning of the year, January, February timeframe. What made you guys put this out now? So as far as like my reports go, that's actually something I do every month for the board. Um, and they just uh, recently decided that those are going to be included in the minutes. Um, I like it. That that same report essentially has been presented to them in the past. Uh, it's just now that we're releasing it to the membership. Um, and okay. I, I did decide to not redact any of the graphs or anything like that that we were showing. Give a little bit of teaser of some of the things that we're working on and hopefully can bring to the membership. You know, and guys like, uh, you know, you and, you know, you mentioned Jay, you know, we want to give you guys that data. And so uh, it, it's one of my goals definitely for next year. And the other side of it is, is Dave, you hurt my feelings. This has been in the magazine. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, you the know, same, the same kind of graphs are actually in the, uh, the July, August issue and the, the last issue. Um, and, and that is definitely where I am delinquent because I, I, <laughs> I went back, I went back in and on my profile, I turned off getting the magazine. And now that I don't get the magazine, I never look at it because I'm like, Oh, I, I get the email, but it's usually during the day when I'm doing right. something. And then I just totally forget about it. And my personal Gmail, not my podcast Gmail, but my personal Gmail has like 40,000 emails in it. I mean, I can never yeah. stay ahead of it. It doesn't, I could, you know, delete a whole page, which is 50 and not, it doesn't matter. So the, the funny thing about that is, is that um, 
we're all over the board on like with the membership. I want a magazine. I don't want a magazine. I like the pictures. I breed your art. Like, I mean, I can walk around the range and I'll have somebody that will come up and, and like, I'll forget that I wrote something that's in there. Um, Cause like, you know, unless it's like the January, February issue on the flight out here, I was finishing up the, the Ipsic nationals article, but other articles I may have had a month ago and then it'll hit and they get it in the mail in January. And then I see them on the range in February and they're like, Hey, I like that. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm already, I'm already like two months ahead. Right. Yeah. yeah. But then there's some folks that, you know, they, they, they want it in their hand. There's some folks that want to open it. Um, you know, I, I've, I've been all over the place on what we should do with it. I did a different, a couple different presentations to the board about, you know, fee structure and where there you go. You want to print it magazine is X dollars. You don't want to print it magazine. You want just the digital online only. Do we eliminate the associate and everybody gets digital online only. And then there's a fee that's out there. There was a whole bunch of stuff that was over a three year period of time that I, I just kept like putting in front of them. And I think I gave them too many options. Um, and then we, then we went down the, you know, we won't rehash August and October, but, uh, we're at, you know, where we're at right now. And, and I, I still, me, I'm still going to make a presentation that there should be, there should be a, I want a digital only and save X amount of dollars for that membership. And I want to print it one and pay X amount of dollars for it. Now, okay, so I have that brings me to the question I would have about sponsors, people who are paying for ad space in the magazine. Would that change what they would be willing to pay if it was digital only? And then you have people like me who don't open the digital copy. So I've had some conversations with some of our longtime advertisers, and um, some of them are if you if you pull the print, we'll pull our ad. Um, other ones, uh, see the benefit of the click through advertising on the digital online only. Cause all the ads are click through. Um, mm. some of them have tried like QR codes to see, uh, what the, you know, sell through is or click through on some of that. I think if we were to go digital only, um, our ad pricing structure may change for that because we are reaching between digital and print 88% of the membership is receiving the official newsletter six times a year. Um, and we've seen a lot of advertisers that package their sponsorship and advertising together on that side of it. At the same okay. time, postage has gone up 19% in the last two years. It's crazy. Paper cost print costs have gone up um, and we, this was out in the last minutes. So we actually eliminated the shipping of the magazine to the foreign members because the cost of that has, it's, it's manual process. You have to, the print company physically has to take the magazine off the line when it's printed, um, put it in a plain envelope, manually label it and then ship it internationally to about 748, 750 um, 
and that cost by eliminating that is about $25 to $2,700 six times a year by just, wow. um, so it, it, it's going to affect about 750 people, but it's a huge cost savings. Um, like 15 that, grand. Yeah. yeah. On that side of that. And um, so, you know, now, now do the math on, 35,000 magazines. Yeah. That's Six crazy. Right. So, um, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not for getting rid of the printed issue of the magazine. I'm for structuring it where you can choose a printed at a certain price or a digital only at a certain price. Um, and I say that, and Rick can tell you, I literally just sent him a screenshot of Athlon talking about how they're eliminating 13 or 14 printed publications of magazines, that they're literally going digital only. So wow. what you see on newsstands at the, you know, at the grocery store that we know no one picks up anymore, they're going yep. digital only on, it's like 13 or 14 different publications. There's a lot of them. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty much most of your newspapers too. Yeah. So, or a lot of them, I won't say most, but a lot of them, you know, you can, for a digital subscription, you can get everything you want right online and cheaper than what they'll deliver it. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I would like to offer up to the membership to choose and that it's a price structure. I like to figure out what that looks like. Is it $10 less a year? Is it $12 less a year or something like that? Um, and then I would open up a an online since it, it would move that way i would actually open up to where you're not necessarily a member you could be a member who chooses to purchase the online subscription to that and sell that as something separate to increase hmm. you know viewership on there and education on it because we have the downrange newsletter that we send out once a week that we're pushing 82,000 uh, email addresses. 80, almost 85. 85, yeah. 85,000. So we actually have more. Well, yeah, we have more people that receive the digital newsletter every week than we have members. Um, some of that is is because, you know, they we started that newsletter in 2017, I think, or 2018. So they never unsubscribed. So their email address, whether they're a member or not, has stayed in the database system. Okay. And it's okay. a 35, 35% Higher open. now. It's almost 40. 40% open rate? It's 37 and a half, I think, the last one. Yeah. So we're doing, I mean, besides, you know, the website, the magazine, the online magazine, the newsletter, the social media pages. I mean, we're, we're, we're a lot of eyeballs that see stuff. Yeah, that's a lot. Now, I want to jump around a little bit here real quick because we mentioned it earlier um, where I was doing. I'm going to go ahead and share that picture now if I can find it wherever I put it. Um, but I wanted to talk about the. Of course, I would lose it. Where'd you go? Here we go. Right here. Oh, your hot map. What's that? The hot map. Yeah, my, yeah, my heat map. Yep. Uh, 
<laughs> I was so close to having a right start. I was so proud. I wrote that note down too. Yeah. And so what I have here is I just, I, I Googled the census information and I broke it down. I created me and stupid spreadsheets. Whoever invented Excel, I hate that guy because that's my addiction, Jake. <laughs> Excel spreadsheets is horrible. I'm going to um, send you that new coffee mug that says freak in the sheets. <laughs> <laughs> so I created this entire huge spreadsheet on population and square miles and and formulas, calculating percentages and all this other nonsense. And um, this goes back to another thing you were talking about with Brian, which is helping clubs, you know, and, and members and stuff like that. Obviously, Area 1 has nobody that lives there. They probably have more bear per capita than they do people. There's zero <laughs> people that live there. Um, and then Area 2 actually, I, I, well, Area 3 would be next. And then for Area 2 is not too bad. But obviously, once you get past this line right here, from Mississippi, Tennessee, the the western edge of Mississippi, Tennessee, Kentucky, Illinois, and Wisconsin, everything east of that is darker. Right. And here in Area 8, I know it's terrible because you'll have we'll have a local well, it's getting back to the way it used to be, but 20 and 21, 22 wasn't as bad. Uh, but 22 started getting there. I'm sure it's there this year where literally a local match will fill up in minutes. I live about an hour South of DC in Fredericksburg. Um, and it, it's terrible in this area. Now I know there, there's not much USPSA can do to create ranges and, and stuff like that. Um, but has anything been discussed or talked about with, the areas like, and if you look at area six, I mean, this, this geographically speaking, if you're in the Southern part of the state and there's a match in Tennessee, I mean, you're flying. It, it's like area one distance. Yeah. So, um, I think this was brought up in 2017 or 2018. It's been a while about redrawing, um, what that looks like. Um, and at the time, this is the part that's a little, it's, it's kind of goofy when you sit there and think about it. So some of the largest population areas that you're looking at have the least amount of clubs. There's like 37 yeah. clubs in area seven. There's like 51 clubs, I think, in area eight. Some of that has to do with range availability. Some of that has to do with um, not gun-friendly states that are there. Um, so should they be redrawn? Uh, I think you could make a really, really good argument about, yeah, they, they should be, and you should be able to probably spread out the amount of clubs in areas based on historical data. Like, you know, area, area five's got 81 or something clubs like that. If you were to able to kind of move some stuff around, but it doesn't fix what you're talking about. It's not going to change that 
you know, the Fredericksburg match sells out in a minute. You know, Vicky puts a match up at um, at her club and it sells out within a minute. And then you look at like a local club to me in Indiana, they get 30 people on a Sunday. It's not 100, but I can I could shoot every Sunday within an hour of Indianapolis um, through April through November kind of thing. Um, I think one of the things that area directors and I'm not I'm not dumping on area directors on this side of it and section coordinators, but per the bylaws and the way the structure is supposed to be, they're actually kind of the first line of encouraging club growth or finding new clubs or answering that call to somebody reaching out and saying, we're interested in setting up a match. How do we do that? And since about 2017, 2018, as the growth has happened, where we went from 385 clubs to 500 clubs and a little over 500 clubs now, um, they haven't had to. The clubs are coming to us um, that are out there, but it, it, it doesn't fix some of the issues that you're, you're talking about is like those large, large city base um, that are out there, you know, the, the Baltimore area, the DC area, Fredericksburg area, um, there's not as many clubs and there's a ton of people and you have military bases that are out there. Um, and you have clubs that are, have action shooting sports that are vying for different weekends. So there's, you know, there's four weekends a month. There's somebody wants to shoot IDPA, somebody wants to shoot PCSL, somebody wants to shoot Steel Challenge, somebody wants to shoot USPSA, somebody wants to shoot an outlaw multi-gun match, or somebody wants to shoot a rifle-only match. And, you, you, you know, they're fighting for that range time. Um, it would be awesome if we were able to, you know, encourage and go and recruit clubs. And that has been talked about. Uh, Layton has brought that up before about – what if we had somebody that was out recruiting clubs um, and you start doing a little bit of a little bit of math and, you know, somebody making, you know, 60 grand a year traveling around the country, going and recruiting clubs, the number of clubs that they would have to recruit to offset all of that, you know, hundred thousand dollars by the time you figure travel and pay and staying right. in hotels and stuff. Um, well, that would be, you know, 50 new clubs a year. And there's not necessarily 50 new ranges a year to kind of offset that right. expense of somebody out there. Um, one of the things I that has been brought up before is about, you know, in those, in those kind of large cities, the indoor ranges. Like, why aren't we out recruiting indoor ranges and going, hey, Wednesday night, how many people do you have come out here and shoot your lanes on Wednesday night? 10 people between you know, five and nine o'clock. Well, let me show you how you can bring 25 people in at 20 bucks a head to go and do this once a week and, and do an indoor structure type of match. Um, we know that's pretty successful in some areas that are out there. I think a, a recruiting system for indoor clubs and how that could work would, would help offset some of that and bring some people in. Um, and then just kind of, you know, the, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna sound bad when I say this, but the burnt 
the burnout level for the current match directors that are out there, there's no encouragement for them to go, okay, if we have a hundred people on this Saturday, maybe I want to do it Saturday and Sunday. The range will let me do it or the range will let me do the first Saturday and the fourth Saturday. Well, if nobody's going and helping that guy, I mean, why does he want to do that? So if there are guys that are out there that want to shoot more, you got to roll your sleeves up and you got to go to that club and you got to be like, Hey, we want to shoot more. Let us, let us get another Saturday. Let us get a Sunday. Let us come out, you know, April through September and do a Wednesday night to kind of offset instead of doing eight stages. Maybe you do four stages on a Wednesday night from five to seven, five to eight, where you got daylight where you're at. Um, and there's, I think that's really us, us promoting that through the area directors and the section coordinators and the grassroots effort of go help roll your sleeves up, go on the website, pull up the stage diagrams. There's, 2,800 stages or whatever. Like More I want to, yeah, I want to print this stage that was at the Delmora section match last year. And I, me and Joe would like to come and set it up. Like, you know how much that would help a club and ease that burden. And then maybe you start seeing that let's do that on Wednesday night. Maybe a club has a, a fifth Saturday, three times a year where some, somebody other than the current match director wants to go and put five or six stages on the ground. Um, that's the kind of growth and the help that you want to see in areas. That's where we need to step in and provide those tools and training that's out there for somebody that may be like, uh, and, you know, I, I want to shoot more, but I don't, I don't necessarily know I could design a stage or I don't necessarily know how to set up a stage. Um, that, that's the, that's the big push. That would be the push that me as a, as an employee, me as a member, me to the board, me to the membership is that that's what we need. That's, that's where the growth happens at more opportunities, more clubs, more shooting, whether it's like I said, you know, three stages on a Wednesday night that gets 15, 20 people that don't have availability to come on Sunday because of other obligations. Um, and it could ease that burden up on some of those matches throughout the month because you're, you're spreading that out where people have different availability um, seems to help uh, recruiting indoor clubs, showing them how to do it and then providing the tools to people who want to learn how to go and set up a match. Um, that's, that's what we have to do. That's what USPSA has to do. Helping the members, helping the clubs, helping the people that are out there to answer those questions. Okay. Yeah. I just pulled it up because uh, using Jay's software, I do a points race for Fredericksburg and they've had 150 different people shoot carry optics this year throughout the year. The next closest is limited optics with 62. Man, that limited optics seems like it's taken off. <laughs> it sure does. <laughs> and, but you know what? There's a few open guys who I've seen on that limited optics list. So yeah, nine like millimeter, that. nine millimeters easier to get than 38 super count. <laughs> yeah, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. And less violent yeah. than nine major. Yeah. Well, you know, 12 cents a piece of brass is uh, kind of crazy. So if, if I, if I wanted to get the numbers for 
how many USPSA members are in each state. Is that something that's obtainable? So Rick, is uh, that obtainable? That's, <laughs> that's going to depend. Um, as it stands right now, each data request is reviewed individually, uh, first by myself, and I, I can't make a determination on if it's something that we can give out. Then obviously, you know, we'll move up the chain, um, starting with Don, and then typically to the board. So to start any type of those requests, shoot me an email, rick at uspsa.org, um, and I'll, I'll absolutely make sure, uh, you know, either the request gets the right place or you get the data. I think something okay. like I, I think, you know, um, that's not proprietary. It's not confidential type of information. I think it's just it's a it's a request that like if we just decided and we just we decide a few things on our own that sometimes we <laughs> have to answer a question later on. It's like, who put that out? We did. <laughs> um, it would, it would be more of a more of a conversation of we're going to start releasing this information. Um, okay. But but if there's requests to back it up, that always helps Rick when he goes to the board and um, when I make an argument about why it needs to be out there. Because sometimes making things obvious is uh, easier to do <laughs> when I have support okay. to be able to do it. <laughs> kind of <laughs> like seeing these reports here yes. this month. I yeah, I mean, yeah, literally that, that, that kind of started as, uh, I mean, it was always something that we started presenting in the in-person meetings that we were having, um, and I'm sharing it with the board. So there's to read the minutes of Jake talked about the numbers means nothing versus these are the numbers that Jake talked about. Um, so I, I mean, there's, there's, good information that's in there, especially if you're a match director and you want to do something kind of crazy and be like, Hey, I want to, I want to run a level two match. That's just optics only like they're doing with dragon's cup. I mean, I talked to Marco Davis and, and those guys down there at dragon's cup about here's the numbers. Like, could we fill a 400 person match with optics only? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, you can. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And and don't worry about you know people going oh I wanted I wanted to shoot my limited gun no no you didn't <laughs> <laughs> keep telling yourself that <laughs> right and this is coming from a guy that single stack and limited that was it that's all I shot for a very very long time I've got it yeah. uh, a collection of forty caliber limited guns and single stack guns that all shoot the same ammo that literally were built and designed for me to, to do that. And, um, I had to blow the dust off of them and, and crack open the limited gun to shoot limited this year at handgun nationals. Um, so I, I mean, those are, those are still to this day, I would say I probably have more, more activity, more matches under my belt in those two divisions than anything else. Limited was a division I made master in first. Um, so it's, it's still kind of near and dear to my heart, but, Man, I shot I shot two club matches in nationals. My elbow was hurting again. My feelings were hurt again. <laughs> well, I got I got to say, whole, I had a headache the whole time from squinting <laughs> trying to find that picture that was out there. So, is yeah. that at Handgun Nationals? It was at Handgun Nationals. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, I've yeah. heard a lot. I've heard a lot of things about that Handgun Nationals. <laughs> <laughs> 
Some of them are true. Yeah. <laughs> I, I finished writing the article for Handgun Nationals, and I, I fell on my sword on a couple of things. Um, I don't necessarily agree that it was the hardest Nationals ever. I mean, I've shot Nationals since 2008 or so. Um, and I had a conversation with a, uh, with a high-level shooter um, that, you know, you got into it what you put into it. If you picked up a single stack gun three weeks before handgun nationals, you got three weeks of preparation when you came to a nationals match. If you had been shooting another division all year and you picked up your side division, that's no longer your main division and walked into a nationals is pretty tough. We did screw up a couple of things. Um, fully admit the turning targets time of four seconds was way off, <laughs> way okay. off. Um, I had, uh, I explained this in the article, but uh, the choice of the system that they have there at Cardinal, you had four seconds, six seconds, or eight seconds. Um, I talked to Jay Warden from Passa Park history of how they set the old turning targets up, and they were at 35 yards and seven and a half seconds for the 222 reload 222. We cut the distance in half to 50 feet, and we cut the time to four seconds, and standing there, air gunning it because none of us shot it because we were all competitors in the match it was going to be difficult but you could do it air gunning it right? <laughs> right and then and then the idea was is that if you couldn't make the reload and get the other two shots off you could not blow off the strong hand and weak hand because you couldn't give up those because that was one 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 reload one 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 strong hand and then you moved up to the shorter distance and did it weekend. Um, so I got over there and I had I had um, some higher level staff. Shannon Smith was there. We all we, we watched it. We timed it. We were like, all right, let's go with it. I got over there um, on staff day to see the third squad through. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's too fast. <laughs> but we were three squads in at that point on the staff side of it. So I had a I had a serious conversation with myself off to the side about do I reshoot three squads where I mean they're and they're already shooting a three day match in two days. Um, or do we just go with it and it becomes who who can get 90 points, not 120. So we just went with it on who could get 90 points, not 120. In reality, it should have stayed six seconds to see who could get the most out of the 120 points um, and become the shooting challenge. So lesson learned. Um, the furthest target, there, <laughs> which you hear on the Internet, is not necessarily true. The, the furthest USPSA or IPSC cardboard target was at 33 yards. It was wide open. The furthest mini popper was at 30 yards. There was a group of three um, that was at 30 oh, yards. That one was tougher. <laughs> at a a mini angle, popper at 30, yeah. At a hard angle with iron sights. Um, oh. In our defense, if if anybody shot There's a blind man setting it up. No, yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> no. If anybody shot carry optics, the way that stage laid out, um, you could still see where the water was had stood at carry optics where poppers had fallen under the water at carry optics so we moved the poppers back past that spot to be like okay. 
So if we lay this out, let's just move them back a little bit. And we did that. And then when you walk up there and you're like, ooh, well, it's one stage, right? So, um, so, so Dave, here's the funny part. I shot limited the whole time. I, did, I mean, I was going to shoot production or limited at that match anyway. And I shot limited and you had like two paper targets that you shot real close and you transitioned over at a little bit of a lean. And the first round I fire off, I see hit on the berm about six feet up back behind where that popper is at. And I'm like, oh, shit. So I, I aim down and I fire the next shot. Oh, the reason why it hit that far up in the berm is because I was hitting in front of the popper and it was skipping up off the ground. So the mm -hmm. second shot I saw hit about 10 feet in front of it. This is 171 power factor. It wasn't lobbing over there. So I was like, ah. Oh. So that was a tough stage. Um, we used most of the hardcover that uh, the Midwest had. So that, that, that made things a little bit difficult in some of it. But all in all, the flow, the design of the match, it was tough, not undoable. Um, I think there were some people that were unprepared for that level of difficulty based on the divisions they choose to shoot without the prep going into it. Um, and I think that's where some of the people walked away from it going, oh, that was hard. Well, if you've been shooting a dot all year and you went and you picked up your production gun or you went and picked up your single stack or limited gun, you got out of it what you put into it. So um, next year, you know, it's a whole other crew, a whole other group of people. So we, we've come off a very successful – I've been – MD or co-MD and behind the scenes planning structure since 20, essentially 2017, 2018. Yeah. Um, you know, 2017 Late was, 17. was SUPS was the big one yeah. that was out there in, in Utah uh, where we worked with that range. It was more contracted. 2018 was nine days of nationals. That was a, a, a yellow sticky note idea that I wrote down at that range in 2017. So working with Shannon in 2018, 2019, 2020, um, MD, some of them straight up from 2020, 2021, 2022. And then this year was uh, all match director for everything that we had, basically the last two years. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a good opportunity to walk away and let the incoming president and that team pick it up. You know, we're, we're duplicating the schedules out there. We're duplicating the success that we had this year. Everything was sold out. Um, same kind of format, um, same locations. So, you know, the rubber stamps there to pick it up and run with it or whatever they decide to do on there. But, uh, you know, when you've got two years of mostly sold out nationals, everything was sold out this year. Everything was sold out last year except for PCC production with the stupid reschedule that we had, everything was sold out in 2021. Um, so the, the models there, uh, the, the format is there. Um, and to answer one of the questions that you have is it's, uh, uh this year was about 1400, right at 1400. Not over, yeah. Yeah. 1411 or something like that. Uh, people that shot the three total. nationals. Yeah. Total. Um, and 83% was one nationals so about 17 percent shot more than one of the nationals yeah and 
that number is a little higher considering that you get a lot of staff that work multiple nationals and shoot it. Okay. Like, like I, I shot three nationals. So I'm one of those percentage numbers that's out there. Um, so 1,164 unique yeah. competitors. 1,164 of okay. the 14. So about 83% is, you know, one nationals event. Um, could they be done different? Yes, <laughs> they they definitely could be. Um, the formula that we've used successfully is the AMPM um, eighteen stops at Cardinal. So it's eighteen stops. So it's thirty six squads of twelve, four hundred and thirty two people that you can get through that type of schedule. Um, the 15 stops at CMP is 360 or 390 with with 13 person squads. You're you're limited a little bit at um, CMP with the time. So yeah. even if you even if you could start at at 8 a.m., you're just going to end early because it's only the five stops in the zones. Um, the way you get more people in or you add more divisions is more bays and more days. So that's where you go to, do you run Monday through Friday? Right. Um, and the way that you would have to do that is, is that it's either, it's either AM and PM flights of five stops or six stops. So it's 20 bays or 24 bays or 30 bays. So you jump and then that becomes availability of range, availability mm -hmm. of hotels, availability of, um, how close equipment. is this to Range an airport? Equipment. Yeah. Do they have enough stuff? Um, there's a couple of ranges in the country that, you know, there's one, unfortunately, that didn't work out. <laughs> we had we had a plan in 2022 to run a four-day, right. you know, four-day match. Um, and that, you know, unfortunately, not not well figured out on some things. I mean... So, you know, CMP was in the process of building five more bays. So that could be a, a 20 stop four day match. So the question becomes, is that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, where people have to travel on Wednesday and, and Monday. So, you know, competitors have to give up some more days. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of unknowns on how that would work. Um, I think there's some opportunities to do some stuff. I think there's some ranges that are in the process of preparing themselves for 2025 and 2026 that are out there. Um, and I, I hope that the incoming president um, and the board work with those ranges and figure out some different formats to reduce the amount of nationals. I think that you could do two um, and be fine with the right structure that's out there. Okay. So would you do like two four day matches then? Is that what you mean? Or. Yeah. I think that there's a, there's a hybrid schedule. There's a hybrid schedule that lays out there at a 20 bay or 24 bay venue that you could offer, um, a two day staff, a two day competitor, a three day competitor, type of thing or two day, you know, two and a half day, three and a half day, you know, hybrid schedule that kind of exists. The 
the trick to it is is the range right so right. you got you got to be able to travel between the bays and the zones so just because you have a range that may have 30 bays it's got to lay out in the right kind of way where you can do these kind of hybrid schedules that are out there i know that there is there's talks of something up in south dakota there's talks of something out in utah uh new ranges that are out right. there um, there's uh, a gentleman that's looking at building you know a very very large facility in florida um so there's there's some things that are coming that you could really definitely you know slice and dice how that looks that are out there i mean there's some crazy people that want to shoot 12 stages on thursday and 12 stages on friday and call it a day and get everything put together and there's some people that would rather stretch it out so yes i think there's some stuff out there but it's got to be the the range the facility the infrastructure where it's at in the country um just because you just because you open something up and the nearest hotel is an hour and a half away that could host 700 people it, it doesn't work you know there's no. there's some stuff that's out in new mexico um it's hard to get to um so yeah i mean i me personally i'm the type of person that i mean if if you know the cmp had 30 bays i'd have, i'd have just told you know go write a contract for five years and tell everybody this is where we're holding two nationals for the next five years and you build different things you bring different people in to build stages or design stages to get the, the flavor different, but the, you know, everyone knows where it's going to be that's there because of the infrastructure, instead of moving stuff around and trying the cost of moving stuff around for us is ridiculous. Um, the, the hitting, an, I mean, from the carry optics match that we had in June to the handgun match that we had in October, just the difference in what that range was able to do, to help accommodate us better it was completely different layout on what we were oh, able to wow. do yeah yeah the things that they weren't able to get done due to the kind of restrictions that they had like cut through on a bay and, and that stuff the amount of um bullet traps that we could make better use of that 12 wooden bays that were out there so we could shoot in the side directions and not just be limited down range you know every time they build 10 of those that, that changes the flavor of a stage that's out there. So, you know, that's a, that's a range that was extremely accommodating to, to host the nationals. Um, and they're never going to break even on, well, we could host 10 years there and they'll never recoup the money that they spent to build those extra bays that are out there. So it's, it's, it's difficult to find a range that wants to be that accommodating knowing that like you know you're not just going to build 40 bays and we're going to come in and you're going to make you know a ton of money off of running a single air event so right. yeah the the idea you know presented at the in-person meeting was is about contracting stuff out uh like we're doing with multi-gun nationals multi-gun nationals is a contracted event that we financially sponsor uh so they don't go in the hole some you know so Adam Maxwell's not taking a second mortgage out on his house to put staff up, you know, um, 
I think it's unfair that, you know, we would put somebody in a situation like that. So we, we did a contract contractual agreement where there's a financial payment um, that went directly to the range, not actually, you know, that match director went to the range to pay the range to host the match. So there's not any, you know, behind the scenes accounting issues or anything like that. It went to a facility. Um, I did that presentation to the board in January that, you know, that should be done for 2024. Unfortunately, we had, again, some internal board issues <laughs> that that kept progress moving forward. So end of, you know, obviously end of May, June, um, 2024 had not been planned. So as you're sitting there with, um, you know, a sold out carry optics event, sold out open PCC event, uh, and you got a formula for 2024 and two ranges saying, Hey, you know, we, we want you to come back. That's what we wrote, um, for better or for worse. That's why 2024 is the way that it is. So, uh, I, I would have loved to contract something out. I think the board would have loved to contract something out, but it's very difficult to start having those conversations with, with ranges in July and August for them to take, you know, take that lead and just be like, all right, go put a nationals on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Mm. So hopefully, you know, uh, the, the structure's there, the advice is there. They figure out 2025, you know, uh, the, the incoming president and managing director, Iman and, and Donna can actually plan 2025 to 2028 uh, per the bylaws. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at, I guess, um, we're only in Ohio once next year for carry optics. And then you have handgun nationals and open PCC nats down at CMP. Yep. Now, when you guys were just there, was CMP constructing those extra bays they had talked about? Um, it's kind of a touchy subject on what's going on with that. Um, bays have been built. They did not meet the standard that the mm. CMP had requested. So we were unable to use them. And, uh, in October, the decision was made to just repeat the schedule that we had of the three days instead of trying something new with no guarantee that those bays would be completed. So, okay. yeah, um, if they're if they are completed and we're able to use them, they will be used for demo sponsor and function fire. And okay. the regular layout will be what it is. OK, well, I mean, it declutters that other area. And so, OK, it also keeps, uh, you know, on the function fire side of it, you're just able to go there and set it up to the public range. Um, right. Yeah, you're still, you know, you still can't go and do 15 mag dumps before 9 a.m. And you go and shoot your first stage, um, which some people, I don't know, they like doing that. Um, right. It is what it is. And when you look at the access that we have, the clubhouse, the cost of the range, the cost of the hotels, it is perfect, except for 9 a.m. and 15 bays. <laughs> yeah, that's so I, I'm surprised they can't get a waiver for that just for those few days, you know, man. 
that so as a public range, even though we're not on the public range, the Alabama State Hearing or Sound Protection Act or something, something yeah. uh, basically it's written that uh, there can be no encroachment as long as they follow that time. So nobody can move in across the street and say, you guys are too loud because you're doing this too early. And, you know, their board, their organization feels okay with not trying to push that. Um, especially for a singular, you know, organization like us. Right. Okay. Yeah, that is the craziest thing. I was like, nine o'clock. What? Oh, well, now I can tell you. I can tell you from a being there for fourteen, fifteen days straight and rolling in it. You know, at eight fifteen to hey, we got forty five minutes. It's nice. Where we get going? Yeah. yeah, that extra hour of sleep is nice in the morning. Yeah, it's it, I get it. It is very, it is very, very nice. I'm not. I'm not fighting people at Starbucks there in Oxford. <laughs> you know, the traffic is down. <laughs> Uh, if you're in Oxford, there's plenty of places to stay and eat. But if you're in Talladega, holy cow, I made that mistake one year. I'll never make that again. Yeah, that's the other thing is you got to remember they bring in a quarter of a million people twice a year. So the right. the area around here, the Airbnbs and stuff like that. Yeah, if you if you stay in the Talladega area and you want to cook for yourself, there's a lot of places. Um, if you want to, you know, the, the hotels in the Oxford Aniston area, uh, are not expensive if you book ahead of time. Um, right. And there's a lot of stuff that's right there. And, you know, all your chain restaurants. Before we move into the, um, a little bit more on, on Rick's side of things real quick. Um, now what I, I will say this, I'm looking forward to the day that the Supreme court <laughs> strikes down magazine limits and it opens up cameo because I spoke with Jim, uh, Mac Burnett about that place. And I know it's wired for sound. So that would be to me the best place. If we were to ever try live streaming from somewhere, that would be the place. And I, I don't, I, I don't know that live streaming is the right word. So if you, and you guys did, you read the thing. I feel like, the only time I would try to do something live, I feel, is like what I've been doing with the podcast, the last two carry optics was the last half of day three, where people are now jockeying for position. You know, you're coming around turn three, coming into turn four, getting ready for the that back stretch. I feel like there are some things that can be done, but I, I, yeah, and and I compare practical shooting to golf. Yep. If you just try to live streaming, nobody's gonna watch it. It'd be like trying to just live stream people walking across a golf course. Boring. But so, I feel there are some things there. Yeah. So and we actually I, I just recently responded to a board member with this. Um so let's let's just take the average squad of 12 and a 45 minute stop. All right. 12 people will mm -hmm. shoot that stage in, in 30 seconds. So there's six minutes of action in 45 minutes, yep. right? And the rest of it's walking around, you know, pasting and, and you know, air gunning stuff and, and finger guns. And it's not very exciting. We, we tried it. Um, we grew it in, I mean, graphics and things that we were dropping in the scores and all that stuff in there. Um, 
it got better and better and better. We ended up with uh, 16 cameras uh, across. Uh, it ended up being 10 stages. Yeah. Trying to keep the action alive. Trying to switch between, you know, a dead stage. They just got shooting. Okay. But there was no live stage. No commentary to your point. It's literally just you're pointed up. And if you if you don't know what's going on, you don't know what's going on. Right. Um, the other thing is, is in 2022, uh, we were we were on an NDA. Nothing went with it with FITE TV, Fight TV, the largest live streaming and rebroadcaster of sporting events at the time. Um, we had three or four meetings with them. Four. Yeah. We shared all of our live streaming stuff, all of our social media platforms, everything with the guy that was the head of it. I mean, and this is an organization that has a half a million people paying $20 to watch pillow fights in a basement. Like they, they live stream stuff like that. I'm serious. They're like, okay. Yeah. So um, he came back and he goes, what you have is a 30 to 45 minute highlights of what you have going on post-production within the, you know, within the time frame of a, a day or two. And I was like, oh, so like shooting USA, just much sooner. And he was right. like, well, what's shooting USA? And, and we <laughs> wow. provided some of that. Yeah. So we provided some of that information to him and sent him shooting USA's episodes and all that stuff. And he goes, that's what you need on the third day is, is that, or you need, you need that 15 minutes, you know, every day of shooting. So it's exactly kind mm. of what you were talking about. Yeah. So we're, we're obviously, I mean, you're looking at <laughs> the, the master director right. live stream, part of scoring yeah. uh, the guys that are going around taking, you know, the videos that we're posting now, taking all the pictures, uh, everything that's going on. Plus at the same time, you know, we leave on Sunday to go set up the awards and prize table. So that's where F5 Productions and Josh Froelich's crew kind of came in in the last year and a half of let us let us produce 30 to 40 different highlight reels, you know, where there's going to be 10 to 15 a day that will hit your social media. Um, and we saw a huge uptick on that. I mean, their, their polished okay. product. Is uh, he, he puts out a great product. Yeah, yeah, indeed. But there's no commentary to it. So if you look Correct. at like if you look at like carry optics and well, world speed this year, and then carry optics where they added in that dynamic of this is how I shoot outer limits, and they got Shane Coley over there, they got Ashley Rorick over there, they got uh, Chris uh, uh, Chris Britt over there talking you know talking to them, but it was a post production kind of thing. So we're at that point to where, yeah, there's there's something there. There's there's something. There's something of some live shooting and some commentary and some stats and some highlights and some cool videos and some follow-up that's all there. Um, the, the ROI on it, I'm not exactly sure what that looks like yet. Um, the burden of it is, is that we would have to bring in people. People would have to volunteer to come in and do that um, or work something out because at the same time, even with me not match directing next year, it's, it's still, I mean, we're, 
an office of a couple of people. So we don't have the right. capability, you know, we don't have 15 people running around on those cameras that we have capturing this stuff, then four or five people, you know, editing it, putting it back out and somebody talking over it. Um, Josh's crew, just so people know that it's four or five people. So those reels well, that three and last time four. Yeah. yeah, but three, never, yeah. He hasn't had more than four. Yeah. Yeah. I saw them at Prairie Fire in September. Yeah. They're on site working, you know, they're capturing, dumping, putting the stuff and then putting it back up um, with, with that's literally what those camera guys that he uses and, and the editors that he uses, that's their pros. Um, we're, you know, we're not, we're not obviously pros on, on that side of it. We, we capture a couple of cool things with our phones. Um, <laughs> you know, okay. I mean, one of our most popular videos is, is Christian Seiler at Ipsic nationals has got, uh, last time I pulled it up is like 30 hours that that 13 second run, it's got 30 hours of of Instagram views. Hours. Oh, cool. Not, okay. I think the not reach, minutes, hours. Yeah. Hours. Yeah. I think the reach is you know 45,000 or something like that. Um. So I mean, there's stuff that's there. I I I do agree that the commentary side of it and that kind of action side of it. Um, and adding into it. Otherwise it's like you said, it's, it's somebody hitting a golf bar. It's, it's, I mean, yeah. people watch, bass, people watch bass fishing. Oh my Seems God. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Crazy. You know, but, but it's because of they're cutting to the action. They're talking to people. Yeah. You know, they, got a, they got a boat that's coming up and being like, you know, there, there's an interesting side to it. So, um, you know, as we kind of roll in, out of this year into next year, that's some of those things that are on my plate of talking to people, figuring out what kind of budget I have, where I can be at, what we can set up, what we can do, timelines on doing some of that stuff. I talked to, we talked to Jay at, at uh, Revolver Nationals about, you know, some of the stats kind of things that you guys are doing that people okay. like. Um, I've talked to uh, Scouting about, um, doing different things with the coverage that's out there. Um, and maybe he's an MC. I mean, if, if there's a guy who's got a voice for talking to people, you know, right. he's out there, but there's, there's some hurdles to overcome. Um, the signal at CMP is horrible. Um, yeah. how was it in Marengo? Good. Marengo's okay. Open. Yeah, Marengo's okay. Um, CMP still, whatever they did at the raceway in 2022, where they turned. Uh, basically, they they moved some equipment from one tower to another to accommodate the raceway. Uh, and it just so happened the tower they oh. took the equipment from was the tower we used. Right. So <laughs> the, the tower with all the good equipment is now on the other side of the mountain uh, so that the raceway can reach it and, and not us. So, yeah, we, we were unable to even like I wasn't able to take a video from my phone and post it to Instagram, just a stage run. Um, wow. Nothing that is out there. So hopefully and luckily Starlink uh, has has come in to save the day. Yeah. Um, US PSA Nationals for last year and a half have all been off Starlink. So yeah. 
Um, as far as streaming off that, that's been a little bit hit and miss, but it's it's definitely improving. Um, so we're hoping to have a little better luck with that in 2024. But okay. I I would love to do something at Carry Optics Nationals, knowing one the signals there, um, two it's 40 percent of the membership so yeah let's let's give the membership what they're you know what they want and that's carry optics um i would i would love to be able to to get with to like you and and some other other folks that are out there and do a plan of what that really really looks like yeah. i am i mean obviously it's no secret to it but there's been you know some financial stuff um, USPSA has kind of faced um, much, much, much better this year. Um, they haven't put all the numbers and stuff out, so I can't really talk to it, but um, it is, it's not as red as what people think it is. Um, okay. There's, there's, there's still some hurdles to overcome on some things, but there's been some, some movement in the right direction. Um, some of that you're seeing just, activity wise is better um more clubs more matches more members new people brought in um we've yet to necessarily figure out what the membership fee increase is really looking like because we're really just post 60 days from that um so figuring out what that looks like but i i think there's something there i agree with you that it's it's a stationary camera on a stage is not good um no matter no matter how awesome we dress up this the cuts to and all that other stuff yeah but i mean if it's a if it's a little live and a little post-production and a little highlights kind of thing that's i mean the largest rebroadcaster of live streaming out there told us that that's what they recommend um and i you know i think it's there I, I'm not necessarily the type of person that would sit there and watch it, uh, but because I'm there. So that that's right. the that's the other side of it is is that you know if I'm not if I'm not there shooting it, I don't necessarily me as an individual as a competitive shooter. My nature isn't to look at what I'm missing. So that that's a me thing. But I know there's a ton of people that want to see what they're missing. So yes. Yeah, and I, I just think I think there's something there. I think that the stats and the information we need to be able to package it a little bit better. I agree. Yeah, and I and I think Carry Optics, like you were saying, is the one to try it on because it is the most popular. There's still a lot of people at home. Like I've had quite a few people, you know, in and out, popping in and out of the podcast when I was just doing audio with the competitor app and going through and doing that stuff. So I know that there is interest, but I, I agree with you. You know, you've got to, it's got to be packaged, right? It's got to be, you know, there, there is a formula, what it is, who knows, but, but there's definitely a formula to, to, to it. Uh, and I think carry optics, yeah. if any of them were to successful, it would be that one. Cause you also have, you have every known shooter there who can win. Yeah. So people are really enthralled. Yep. And, and when you sit there, I mean, the formula is there. Golf is a perfect example. Fishing is a perfect example. They, they make an hour episode out of cornhole based on interaction and talking about what's going on. Otherwise, I mean, if you were just and, to sit 
if people sit there and watch frisbee golf on ESPN curling, well, curling is cool. (laughs) (laughs) You're just watching the leggings. (laughs) Ask me how I know. It's, it's more, it's more so about what the hell are they doing? Right. (laughs) But, but yeah, it's, it's, it's there. We just need to be able to, and this kind of goes to the other thing that you were talking about. We just need to be able to leverage folks that are out there that can, that can help us do it. And that we're, you know, we're not scared to throw something on the wall and see what it sticks. And that kind of goes to like, why are we doing your podcast? Like we've never done this before. Or why don't we, we do podcasts with other folks and leverage their, their kind of media. Um, some of it is, is that uh, um, there was other people that were more happy to get out there and talk and speak um, than us. <laughs> I guess is a nice way of saying there's some people that, <laughs> that there's some people that would rather listen to themselves talk than, which I mean, I've babbled mm. on for two hours, but uh, I would say people weren't necessarily interested in what Jake and Rick had to say. Um, but then I started doing some of Brian's podcasts. I did Alex Manning's podcast. Um, I think, I think I'm still one of Brian's more popular ones that were out there. Um, we, we did an ill-fated USPSA podcast. Um, but the idea behind that wasn't the, the idea behind that podcast was, is that, um, you had a board meeting on Tuesday night we would do a podcast on Wednesday night. And when the minutes were released, the podcast would be released so that you could read the minutes and then they could talk about like, literally the idea was, is I was going to read the, the question in the minutes and the board was going to talk about it. Um, I still think they should do it, but Agree. Uh, it's, it's very, very well. I have a, something better they should do, but um it's very difficult to take those guys who spent four or five hours on the phone on Tuesday night and then ask them to give up another two to three hours of the next night right, being, right. you know, they all have lives to get kids and family and all that other stuff where, where it, it didn't go well just because we didn't get the participation. Um, and it had a lot to do with availability. Me personally, as a member, I think that they should just behind login, the meeting should be streamed. And it eliminates all of that stuff. I'm 100% with you. 100%. I think if they want to earn the trust back of the membership that's questioning what's going on, um, one, the members are going to be extremely shocked at how boring it is. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I believe it for the most part. It's going to be like watching golf (laughs) with people walking. Oh, no, much worse. <laughs> it's, people arguing, it's people arguing over betting on golf. There you go. But, and, and I believe it would be the fastest way to earn back that trust, too, because once you watch it a couple of times, you're like, all right. Yeah. 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 So. I mean, part of some of the things that have happened here the last two days is, is that, you know, the there's a bylaw that's out there. The board would have to get together at the beginning of every meeting make a motion to uh, ignore or make a motion to 10.2 is, is that bylaw about release the wave to wave 10.2. Yeah. Yeah. And then you could, then you could basically flip the switch and people could log in and watch it. 
um, is is how it's written right now is what they would have to do. I don't know if they all agree on it or not. Um, but me, I mean, I if you've watched me on Brian's pie, I see myself as a member first, an employee second. Um, as a member and watching the last couple of years and the changes and the stuff that's out there, um, we need to earn the trust back of the membership. And that's the fastest way to do it is to let let everybody in on just exactly what's going on. Um, I hope I hope they do it. I'm bringing it up on this podcast for a reason. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to bring it up tomorrow night when Rick and I do Brian Connolly's, you know, Hunter's HD Gold Cup Roundup. Um, sometimes you've got to be blunt to get a point across. So, well, and and I've said it several times myself. So it's not anything new on this podcast for people listening as and and rick how hard would that be i'm about to share your information here in a second we can go through it pretty quick because i've kept you guys for a while but um but how how much of a strain would that cause on the organization from an it standpoint to be able to do that to live stream a board meeting very little very little strain um it's it's something uh we talked about this a little bit earlier you know we we use zoom for our phone system uh, we have zoom uh live streaming is built into zoom uh, we already have the infrastructure and platform set up to stream to multiple platforms or only to our website or behind a login uh very very easy stuff uh as far okay. as the IT part of it okay and and none of the board members would have any issue where they where they live to be able to do this either like no okay. it, it's it's through zoom i mean if they're having connection issues you know obviously you'll see that you'll see their screen lagging and their audio might cut out not a lot we right. can do that from our end um but no. as far as you know the streaming itself uh, it'd be directly from the zoom meeting to our platform. So there, it wouldn't be dependent on any one person's connection. So you would just embed it in the member section of the USPSA website. Correct. Okay. Yep. All and then right. if they, right. if there's, you know, if they got to go into executive session, you can pause it. Yeah. Um, if there's, if there's, you know, if it goes off the rail, we have the technical difficulty sign that we can hold <laughs> up. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah. I, I, I mean, I, you know, a year ago I would have said, ah, but I mean, as things have progressed, as things have changed, as um, information that seems like it's not being transparent, I, and it's, and it's not that it's, it's really, it's not that it's, it's just that there's an opportunity to do it. Um, it, and it could be done once or twice and you find out nobody's watching, right? And then you just don't do it. It's kind of like the in-person meetings at nationals where, you know, the first one there was 50 people at the next one, there was 30 people at the last one was, you know, 20 staff members, um, at a certain point, is, is that the right thing to do? Or do you live stream an in-person meeting that you take questions ahead of time? I, I the, the technology's there to engage more people that have an interest as to what's going on. Um, very, 
I mean, we're all very, very passionate about this hobby, the sport, the amount of time and effort that we put into it. Um, and nobody is, is out to do it harm. And I think they need to be able to stand there and say, this is what we're working on. This is what we're doing. This is how we're working together. Uh, it keeps them engaged. It keeps us engaged. It keeps the membership engaged. Um, it eliminates the, I read this someplace, third person down the line telling the story of what I heard two Sundays f removed from the meeting at a local match of, ah, that's stupid. And it's nowhere near what took place, right? So we all know what right. that looks like. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, it's there. Just like just like doing stuff at, at nationals, there's a there's a format. There's no reason not to try it. Yeah, I, I would agree. Now, Rick, I've, I'm sharing your uh, one of the slides from your report, and actually, it's the third mm -hmm. slide. Let me back up here. Now, I thought this was interesting. In the past month, you've had 13.5 million requests. Correct. So what, what is a request? Uh, it's going to depend on what service you're looking at. So that combines all of our websites, apps, uh, and various tools. Um, a request can be anything from you're requesting a file, you're requesting an image, you're getting a web page, you're uh, sending a request to the API through the app. Um, it's essentially just... To, to give the board members a better idea of what our infrastructure is handling. Um, it may seem kind of high. Let's say, you know, you go to our homepage, that could be an upwards of 14 to 16 requests. Um, okay. So it's, it's hard to, and at the end of the year, obviously the board gets page views and all that kind of information. Um, but we wanted to highlight the, you know, the traffic. amount of information and traffic that we are processing. Yeah. So like, okay. I go to the, if I go to the app and I go to my classification and then I pull up a match result, that's a, you know, the trip. be three. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. But that's still 13 and a half million is a crap ton. So. Oh yeah. That's a lot of interaction going on. Absolutely. And that's uh, like the that's even like the magazine you know, clicking the pages and sliding through and all of that stuff. So, right. Okay. Very, very, it, very, very active. <laughs> indeed. Yeah. Now I thought that was impressive. 279,000 attacks or threats stopped on the website. That's good. Indeed. Um, indeed. I mean, especially with personal information for people, yeah. you know, membership information. Yep. Um, and one of the things uh, a lot of the a lot of members don't realize this, but uh, prior to 2017, all member data addresses, anything like that was stored on an offline server at HQ. Uh, very, very antiquated system. Uh, and it was, in my opinion, holding us back from expanding. So in 2017 is when I released what you see now, which is basically our website. But also what that entails is a back-end system um, that completely manages our members, our clubs, anything about you know all of our financial transactions, everything is all managed through a singular system. Um, and one of the you know <laughs> things that kept me up at night, if you will, is that in doing that, we put all member information accessible on the internet. Now, 
we have taken the utmost highest security standards possible within our budget. Everything's encrypted at rest. Um, we have, you know, four firewalls, two hardware, two software firewalls before you can even touch anything on our server. Um, so it, 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 it's good to highlight that to make sure people realize like we are fighting constant attacks. Um, and, and when you see the increase in cost, IT costs, that's a, one of the biggest reasons is right there. Okay. I can see that. I mean, it's a, it's on a personal level, it's, it can get pricey, but you've got to do what you got to do to protect your stuff. So I'm down with yep. that. I, I wanted to ask you, what is the 79% request cached? What does that mean? Uh, so that just basically means that, you know, we strive to have a lot of cache requests because any non-cache requests technically costs us more. So by catching as much data as we possibly can, we can save some of that bandwidth and some of that data processing power, uh, you know, throughout our systems that don't really need to be used because somebody's already looked at that information. So when you go look at a match, it's going to catch that information. So when Jake goes and looks at it, he's going to one, see that information quicker and two, be able to see that information with less processing power. I got you. All right. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what, what does this mean? All right. It makes sense. I was in the meeting when he explained it. <laughs> <laughs> now this, this, um, the, my biggest question on this one was the flag removal request. I assume we're talking about in the classification scores. Okay. Yeah. So, um, if you go to the, the classification information page on our website, the official policy, if you will, of our classification system, it has uh, in the, the flag removal crests are all A flags. So if you go to that page, it'll explain to you, basically, if a score is submitted that's 20% above your current class ceiling, that's deemed by the system as, I don't want to say invalid, but questionable. And gets right. flagged with an A. That flag will never be removed under any circumstances unless you submit a request to have it removed. So even if your class changes down the road, you're still going to have that A flag. A lot of those A flags people, you know, submit in. It used to be it was 15%. And the amount of requests we were getting was, you know, more than we were able to handle and more that, you know, it was obvious that it, it needed to be raised. So we did raise it to 20% and that's brought okay. those requests down a little bit. But that's essentially okay. what it is, is somebody got a score. It was flagged as out of the ordinary and we had to have one of our employees, myself or Nathan, go in and manually review all of their history and their data and ensure that, hey, that looks normal. Okay. Now what, so I'm assuming seven people requested to reduce their classification. Correct. Okay. Interesting. Yep. I haven't heard that too often. So but that is on the it, steel challenge or is USPSA? That's USPSA. USPSA. There USPSA. was three uh, steel challenge requests. Okay. 10 total. So 10 yep. Yep. Okay. And that's, that's about average. Um, 
right now it's a little lower than normal, but that's typically what we're seeing uh, and have been seeing for about the past uh, 14 months or so. Um, obviously, the SEAL Challenge reclassifications are new, uh, but as far as, as uh, USPSA goes, that's about what we see. Um, and that, again, is somebody submitting a request saying, hey, I've been shooting for 20 years. I got classified as master 15 years ago. I can't shoot like that anymore. Can you please move me down? As Jake points to himself. I, I, I personally haven't, I have not submitted a reclassification, but use me as an example today. Like we, we pulled up my limited scores and like, I, I think my first 2010, like yeah. I, I've got, a, I've got a 2010, a 2012, yeah. a 2000. I think it might've been a 2008. Eight, eight, 10, 12, 14, or yeah. like four of master class runs unlimited. Um, so it, it's, it's like. And I, only decreased from there. Yeah. It, it, yeah. <laughs> it's all been downhill. <laughs> um, but then we also, we looked at like my steel challenge and we pulled that up and looked at it. It's like, I'm, I'm master class in eight, I think of those, but there's some of those that are like 85.01%. So mm. yeah, that, that if peak stage times, when the peak stage times adjust, um, if they go up, my legitimately could be a class in some of those. But I haven't shot Steel Challenge that much. And I know that if I go and I shoot Steel Challenge three Saturdays in a row and kind of how I do my divisions on there where I'm doing like combined rimfire together and stuff, I, I know my second gun, by, by the time I hit the third match, I'm going to be back up at that level. And that's stuff that Rick looks at. And just because you send it in and you're like, ah, oh, I – you know, I've sucked for the last two years. Well, you haven't shot in the last two years. Or you mm. you have this pattern of boom, boom, right? So you you can do it. You're just not consistent about it. So just because there's a request that's out there, it needs to be a legit kind of thing. It's not just like, you know, I made master and limited in 2011. Well, I've shot it three times in the last two years. Yeah. And, and something to note, you know, of, of those seven, two got approved. Uh, typically you'll never see more than half of them get approved in any, in any month. And sometimes um, it's, a, it's a lot of them. Health we, related. Yeah. It's health related, but we simply don't have enough supporting data to be able to prove that request. Okay. All right. <clears throat> This is what I was talking about earlier, the 271 matches support for clubs. That's mm -hmm. where I saw including a new dedicated phone text line for clubs needing yep. help with scoring and upload. So, yep. so in 30 days, you helped 271 different clubs. Uh, not necessarily. The, the 271 is how many matches were uploaded in the last 30 days. Oh, um, okay. If, if, you know, obviously we help any clubs that need help uh, right. and, and help in any way we can. Club, uh, people who run clubs are going to start to notice some changes in 2024 as far as communication from headquarters goes um, and getting a little bit more information, especially if you're running level twos and threes, getting a little bit more information out to you about if you have questions about this, here's who you contact. If you're having problems with scoring, here's a number you can call or text, so on and so forth, just to make sure the 
the people that are running those bigger matches understand the resources that are offered from headquarters and also who to contact about that. Okay. And obviously uh, we've been talking about the whole data analytics thing, but is that from an IT perspective or are we talking about things like we're talking about tonight with the implementation of data analytics and business intelligence platform? Uh, both. Yeah, both. It is both. Uh, okay. Yep. yep. Uh, it, okay. It's, it's basically a, a new platform that's going to allow us to uh, one, get data a lot faster. Uh, as it stands now, if Jake wants a, a graph showing membership growth over the last 10 years, that's something I have to manually go in, write the code for, you know, write the queries for, format the data, then get a graph framework and put that into a graph. Whereas with this platform, Two we're minutes. able to go in and do that a little bit easier. He always tells Excuse me, me a lot easier. <laughs> he always tells me it takes 10 minutes too, Dave. It's just yeah. which, <laughs> which email, which message. Um, some of that stuff too, Rick's being a little modest on this, is that, um, I mean, I he gets beat up on request quite a bit, not not just from me, but you know, from clubs and from members and from the board on that but at the same time some of this inflammation that he's doing has to do with even the financial side of stuff on how like if you renew or you join like how that's tracked how it's moved from from the website to quickbooks to the accounting i mean that process has been very antiquated for a very very long time um which is part of that issue that people have with uspsa's hiding their financials well it it's not that they're hiding financials is it's literally that process took 35 to 45 days of of going back and figuring out who signed up who renewed who did this i mean it's there's a lot of transactions that go through the website um when you sit there and think on a daily basis new membership renewals and uh, activity uploads and then how is that tracked on the back end who's handling all that stuff there's a lot of manual processes that this is going to speed up a lot. Okay. So this is allowing more things to talk too. Yeah. Yep. Okay. While we're talking about analytics, um, one of the things I hadn't talked about yet, which was on the sheet was, um, I, I've noticed just in the last couple of years, on occasion, there are people on, and this goes back to Jay Slater's software too, but um, it seems like there are people who are shooting really well throughout the season who are not on super squads. And then some people that are on super squads that maybe don't end up in that top 12 or 16 or whatever it is you want them to be on there. Is there any talk of using some type of analytics to determine who would actually be now if if it's the defending champ obviously they're going to be in there or if they were top 12 last year and they're still shooting consistently but is there any talk of using analytics to determine the top 12 and who would actually be on the super squad um so the way that the actual slot policy works it's based on previous year's performance at that division's nationals so if you right. finish in, if you finish in the top 10 you receive an invitation and a reserve spot on the super squad 
plus two additionals if it's a 12 person squad. Um, that's historically how it's been done. And then over the last two years, I've tried to reserve a B squad for that other 12 people that are kind of floating around out there that have done well throughout the year um, that may have been top 16, that they're shooting the same division. Um, as far as, you know, the how did they how they're performing throughout the year and moving them on to the super squad that like Jay's doing his top, you know, analysis throughout the year kind of stuff. No, um, not because it's not doable. It's just because it's always been that kind of, you're you're earning the slot based on previous performance. Um, is there a way to kind of change it up and reserve a spot out there for that kind of floating thing? Yeah, there, there definitely could be. Um, that again, the, the difficulty of that kind of lies in the, how many spots do you want to reserve for a match that's going to sell out? Um, and slots, this goes to the other question that you had talked about. Slots are based on three things, nationals performance, area performance, and then activity credits earned by sections that are supposed to be awarding slots based on their bylaws and performance within the section. If every slot was awarded based on performance between area, nationals, and section, the match would be sold out with people that earned a slot based on performance. Um, now, just because they earned it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to come, just because they won master class at their section match and that earned them a slot for carry optics in June, they could have won that in Alaska and they're not gonna to come to Ohio. So that slot then gets turned into the open registration and that's, that's how the process has worked. But everything is earned based on performance um, from, from your area finish or nationals finish in that division based on division, class and category for those two and then how the section award slots. So if somebody's sitting out there in a section and they want to know how to get a slot from their section coordinator, the section coordinator is bound by the USPSA bylaws and his section bylaws to issue a slot on how that's written. If they can't get that information, they need to go to their area director and say, hey, I live in section whatever, and I'm trying to find out how I can earn a slot, and my section coordinator is not telling me. There's bylaw support out there for them to be like, hey, this is how it's supposed to be done. Now, how do people find out who their section coordinator is? Because I don't, and maybe it's on the website, but I've not seen anything. Yeah, if you go to the so, website and you pull up the club. So there's a few different ways. Uh, first, okay. if you're not logged in, uh, you go to find a club. Uh, go click on the whatever club's closest to you, and you'll see section coordinator information uh, right below the club information. If you're logged in, uh, that makes things a lot easier. You can go to uspsa.org slash local, I believe it is. Um, that will give you, and I'm just double checking that. Make sure, yeah, so uspsa.org slash local, um, and that's your USPSA near you page. Um, under the contact page there, 
you're going to find your closest club, uh, your closest section coordinator, as well as your area director's contact info. Um, and it can also be found over on your uh, profile page. Um, again, if you're logged in. Now I'm under, so I, I'm under the USPSA near you under clubs. And go I see to, go over to contact. Con okay. Far right. Ah, near a section coordinator. Okay. And it's, right. uh, it's a little bit challenging determining, you know, what section is Jake Martin's in because sections don't actually have a geographical definition. It's a mm. club here and a club here. If somebody lives in between those two clubs, we don't know what section they're in. Okay. So technically we don't know what section people live in, but when we base it off the data we have, what clubs they're shooting at and what their nearest club is, we can generally determine that. Yeah. And then if you okay. go, just, if you just go to the find a club and you click on the club you normally shoot at, a section coordinator will be at the bottom of that. Okay. That's good to know. Cause I, I, I had been shooting for a few years and, and someone was like, yeah, that's our section coordinator. I'm like the who, the what, what are you talking about? What is the section thing? <laughs> yeah. I mean the, the historically the section coordinators role has somewhat been reduced just because of the automation and how scores are submitted. But I mean, it, it literally 25 years ago, like as a match director, you sent your scores to the section coordinator who validated them and then they mail, mailed them into USPSA. The section coordinator played a much larger role. Like you couldn't put on, you couldn't put on a special classifier mat. When I was a section coordinator in 2009, I had to approve special classifier matches. You had to request if it was okay to run um, a special classifier. So there we are. We were just seeing, we were just seeing how long we were going to sit here like this. <laughs> That's how rumors get started. Just saying. <laughs> All right. Seen two dumber looks on people's face than those guys. <laughs> Now, Rick, I got to ask you, because this is this is a you're killing me with this last page here. Uh, that may have been my intention. I think it was. I know it was. <laughs> I'll let you two go geek out. <laughs> <laughs> now. All right. You got to tell me what what's behind the two graphs, the, the heat map and the other map down there on the bottom right. So what you're looking at there is uh, indeed uh, activity. Uh, so that is mm -hmm. the uh, states that are red have more activity uh, than the okay. states in green there. So um, not many people know about it, but we do have an Instagram account. Unfortunately, I haven't been as active on it as I would have liked. Um, but that is some of the things that we're going to be releasing on that as well as some other channels. Um, it's awesome. just some USPSA data, right? Yeah, it's, it's USPSA data and it's it's interesting things like that, that maybe not the entire membership is interested in, but I know there's a, a subset um, that is interested in things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, as you can see there, when you look at that map, it's like, wow, you know, it's, it's pretty evident between California, Texas, and Florida, you know, th that's where the bulk of our activity comes from. Yeah. There's a lot of activity there. Yeah. Uh, and then the map underneath, uh, is activity by county. Oh, very interesting. Ooh. 
Yep. Okay. So uh, with a new platform, we're able to drill down actually down to cities uh, and, you know, get information city by city, compare it to things, uh, you know, income uh, ratio, things like that. We can dive in and get a little bit more in-depth data on our members, our, you know, our clubs, our matches, things like that. Um, okay. Another interesting graph there, uh, the top right. Uh, the blue bars with the purple at the top. Yep. Uh, that would be our distribution of members by age uh, as uh -oh. well as gender. So blue is male, pink is female. Um, and obviously to the left is lower ages, to the right is higher ages. Um, so that just right there gives you a relatively good idea of what the distribution or demographics of our membership looks like. I am right there at that's where I would fall. That's that line. If people can see my cursor would be 57. Okay. So it looks like so, it, yeah. it's peaking at about 53 actually. Yep. Interesting. Yep. Wow. Okay. So, and, so the, and we do have data also on, you know, members who've been expired for 10 years. So, you know, we only have, you know, 30, what is it, 39,000 members, but we have data on almost 200,000 members. Good Lord. So, now, unlike national elections, I assume no dead people are voting here. Correct. Okay. Uh, to the best of our knowledge, uh, there's, that's not, that's not a poke at you guys. That's yeah. a poke at, yeah, no, absolutely. And I will say from the, from the technical side of things, there's no way for us to know if somebody has passed, uh, Unless you know, there's, reported. yeah. Right. So, um, but those who have passed and is reported to us, they have been removed, obviously. Yeah. I have to put in my will to have my wife or or son to send a postcard USPSA. You can delete this membership now. He's, he's a goner. Yeah. And we do, we do get quite a bit of those. We may need that number. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, that, that's a very interesting graph then. Cause I mean, you can almost, it looks like it peaks like the early thirties then goes mm -hmm. back down and then peaks again about 50. So there's gotta be raising kids or something else going on life wise career yeah. or something. So you sit there and you think, you know, like I said, I've been doing this for, it's going on 24 years. And I, I see the people that came in at 30 and had kids or had a job mm -hmm. change or got married or came in and were a local hero for two years and then decided to go and, you know, race cars or, or pick up golf or do something. So, you know, and you've got uh, the the challenges of cost. I mean, it's not a it's not a cheap hobby if you start going down the the rabbit hole of traveling to matches. Um, you know, we we always kind of joke about the entry fee. The entry fee is the, the cheapest thing. The the reality, your membership and the entry fee is the cheapest thing that that this yeah. has. Um, and if you start really getting into it, I mean, like you, I, your, your duplicate canics that are back there, every competition gun that I have, I have an exact duplicate of that because 
if I'm going to travel to a match, they only break when you use them. They, I've never, I've never taken one out of the safe and it'd be broken. It only breaks when I'm there. Yeah. And, and if you're going to spend time, you know, investing time into this, it, it's a tool and it, it's an expensive yeah. part of the hobby. Um, the, then the ammo consumption side of it is even if you're reloading, especially people that are coming into this now who just wanted to start getting into the reloading side of it, you know, thank God nine millimeter factory ammo <laughs> has come down to 22 cents, 24 cents around. Um, it's almost break even compared to starting reloading. If you're, yeah. if you're looking at starting new or replenishing, especially on the primer side, and it's not going to go down. Federal just uh, had a circulation out there of a shortage of powder that's that they're calculating for 2024, especially on the Alliance side. Good Lord. Not good. Yeah. And that, again, when you go back to some of those first numbers that we talked about, um, you know, when you see carry optics and limited optics take off nine millimeter factory ammo. Yep. You, you don't have to invest in reloading. Um, and when you look at that new member that's coming in, like my dad and my uncle reloaded ammo. You know, they set up my first reloader. Um, I learned it from them. Uh, people that are coming in at 20, 25, 30 years old who grew up playing video games and, and you know, paintball or something other than this and didn't have a family member that they learned from, you know, reloading is, is a skill. It's a, it's a scary skill to get started in. So, you know, when you, when you think about it, 22, 24, 25 cents around nine millimeter factory ammo and growth in nine millimeter divisions makes a lot of sense. I agree. I don't even know now that, is it even break even anymore with the cost of the reloading equipment and then the time that it's going to take to do all of that? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't even, now I wonder how many more thousands of rounds you have to make in order to break even, you know? Um, you know, the funny thing about it is, is that I did a little bit of math with a fellow competitor about 38 super comp and once, you know, once fired brass versus Ely new 38 super comp. Um, and you were actually better off buying Ely new 38 super comp than going in and trying to, to reload unless it's a, it's about the 20,000 mark of you're going to wow. start, you're going to start gaining back if you're picking up your once fired brass. Oh, uh, Wow. It's the brass cost because the powder and the primer costs are not going down. It's the once fired brass cost. So you, 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 as you go through that cycle of you bought it new, now you're reloading it. Um, but once you factor in your time, that that's the, that's the killer that people forget. There's a lot of yeah. people who they, they love it. It's a, it's not necessarily the cost savings or anything like that. It's the, like my dad is a, he has a, shot uspsa for a couple of years shooting local bowling pin stuff it's still out there loading ammo for it just because he likes to go and tinker and do all that stuff now i can't get him to load my ammo yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well gentlemen i think we pretty much covered all the questions 
We've been two and a half hours. It's a lot, a lot of your time I've taken up. Um, was there anything that any last comments you wanted to make or anything like that? I, I mean, from, from my perspective, uh, thank you, Dave, for having us on. Um, I just want to let the, the clubs and the membership know we are working very hard to ensure we're bringing value uh, to the clubs and the members. Um, we've got a ton of projects and things that we'll be bringing to the board as well as things that we're just going to be implementing um, to try to bring back that value uh, to both the clubs and members. Okay. I think on, on my end of it, the, the, the biggest thing is, is that people are, the board is listening. They're, they're paying attention. Nobody, nobody wants to do harm to USPSA. And I know there's a lot of, chatter that's going on out there and there's been some bad decisions and decisions that should have been done differently um that keep yourself engaged engage with your local club engaged with your um participation and you will get a ton out of this if you if you if you look at it as more than just a hobby of going out there and helping that local club um, and being part of that. I, I can tell you, I mean, like I said, 23 years, everybody that I know, all of my friends, everybody, and there's a lot of us that can say this, has all come through this. I mean, hell, Rick met his, his wife working at USPSA. Um, so, right, there, it's out there. If don't give up on the board. Don't don't think that 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 your emails are not being heard. They're not being listened to, and kind of push that transparency side of it. On on hey, let us in. Let us let us hear. Let us see. Let us make sure that you know the time that we're spending out here is worth it. Um, and on the flip side of that is that you know we're coming up to reaffiliation time right now for clubs reaffiliating. Um, it's an important time to make sure that that ranges are, are understanding that process and that um, if there are people that are um, you know, wanting to run other sports and do other things, it, that happens. It's a brand. It's a product. It's a well-known brand. It's a well-known product. This is our 2024 is our 40th anniversary of being USPSA um, and that there's a lot more to come hopefully with a lot of things that are out there and that uh, people can continue to enjoy this at the level that they have. I mean, that's always been the most important thing is that you enjoy what you're going and doing. Nobody, nobody wants to go and beat their head against the wall. So <laughs> hope not. Right. right. So, so hopefully that's what we're able to start moving towards because it, it does feel like we beat our head against the wall a little bit over the last two years with, with some things. And I, I would like to think that uh, we're turning the corner into 2024. Yeah. And I, I'm hoping just the stability of the board, meaning no, no more special elections and all that stuff. Yeah. It's, Hopefully it's, right. The ship be able to, you know, progress forward. It's draining. It's, it is, it is draining for everybody. Yeah. 
for and it and it don't let it affect the fun you have at your local club match. That's exactly. the biggest thing. Exactly. There you go. And Dave, we do, we're going to circle back uh, once we kind of get through December. We'll we'll have some more end of year numbers that you guys can okay poke holes through and have fun with, and then uh, we will definitely talk about some of those ideas for carry optics and see what we can see what we can come up with that makes it fun and entertaining. Excellent, I like it. I appreciate you guys coming on. So. Again, you've, this is two hours and 44, 45 minutes of your time, so I appreciate it. Feels like 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah. <laughs>